Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. The best athletes don't just play the game, they change it. When it comes to investing, GameBridge is doing the same. Their online platform does things differently because it's designed to put you in charge of growing your own savings. It's intuitive, it's easy, and best of all, it's on your terms. No wonder GameBridge has earned the trust of 40% repeat customers. It's a better way to invest because it's investing your way. Get started today with as little as $1,000 at GameBridge.io. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Redestine tires. Go to TireRack.com slash sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. As well, Duralast batteries designed to stand up to even the most extreme weather conditions. They're built with patented technology to reduce damage due to vibration and deliver the most power during startup. They're proven tough and sold only at AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. We are in the zone here. The Baltimore Ravens were in the zone. The Stanford Cardinal managed to be in the zone for just long enough to get past Oregon State last night and avoid what would have been a pretty epic upset on behalf of the Beavers. Uh, it's always hard to say that without uh, without snickering a little bit. And uh, last night's number one story, I think beyond a shadow of a doubt, I was watching, many of you were watching as well, in the second quarter, Joe Flacco took off uh, sprinting outside of the pocket, running towards the first down line. Uh, as he realized that he was probably not going to reach that first down line, he decided to slide as he slid, maybe perhaps a little bit late. Kiko Alonso uh, was not able or was not willing to pull up and avoid delivering what was a brutal hit that knocked Flacco out of the game with a concussion. His helmet came flying off, uh, bleeding from the ear. There was then a, a melee on the field. And uh, it's the number one story, I think, beyond a shadow of a doubt right now in sports. Let's listen to that live call last night from Tony Romo and Jim Nance on CBS. Flacco rolling, rolling, and running. And he's going to have to fall. Not the ball comes out. Helmets off. It was Kiko Alonso who delivered the blow. Flacco's on his feet. And Harbaugh's yelling at Alonso right now. He's in Alonso's face. Harbaugh is livid. You just lost your quarterback for the game, and Harbaugh knows that. This is a... Watch this. Joe with a good run. Slides. Oh. 
bends his head, helmet comes jarringly off. And it's definitely a penalty as the quarterback gives himself up and he leans that arm in there. That's, that's not okay. Well, look, he knows he's going down and at the end right there, he leans it down. Alonzo, way too aggressive. Quarterback's giving himself up. You need to at least show restraint at the end of that. And uh, as a result, a uh, lot of, uh, man, a lot of ugliness uh, in that game. As you heard, the, the, the scrum after the game. I will say this for the officials. Uh, there was a play earlier this year where Marcus Mariota got hit very late by Richard Sherman out of bounds. And then the offensive line stood up for Mariota. And referees called offsetting personal fouls. And so there was actually no penalty assessed effectively on the play. I will say this. The one thing I liked about the way this uh, this play was covered by the officiating crew uh, was that they did not penalize the Baltimore Raven offensive line for going after Alonzo. Uh, they just gave the 15-yard penalty for the hit, which I think is the right decision there. Because otherwise, you get the hit, and then you get the offensive line reacting to the hit, and there's an offsetting personal fouls, and there's literally no impact from the play itself. And it's funny, I, my six-year-old, uh, he just turned seven, was watching this uh, this game with me uh, last night um, as we were getting ready for bed, and he thought, I, I was like impressed by him, he said, Dad, that's different than the Mariota play where both of the teams got personal fouls, and so the overall impact was negligible because you end up with the offsetting fouls. Here, you got a 15-yard penalty. Now, when I was watching that live in real time, I thought Alonzo should have gotten kicked out of the game. And I don't think there's any doubt if this were a college football game, he would have gotten kicked out for targeting. I think he should get kicked out in, uh, in the NFL as well. If I were in charge of looking at this play in the NFL, I would say that Kiko Alonzo needed to be kicked out of this game because – the NFL is only as good as the quarterbacks. And we can get into a debate about whether or not Joe Flacco is a great quarterback, but I think there's no doubt at all that the Baltimore Ravens are significantly better with Joe Flacco than they are with Ryan Mallett. Now, they're a 4-4 four and four team regardless. They're the most average team in the NFL so far this year. But assuming that Flacco is likely to miss at least one game and potentially two in this concussion protocol, not to mention how serious a concussion injury is in general, I think you have to do everything you can to protect a quarterback. Now, you can say, oh, Flacco should have given himself up earlier. He should have slid. Guys, I don't think we're very far from an era in the NFL when the head coach just tells a quarterback, don't even try to run. Just immediately give yourself up. If you can't throw the football, just take a knee. If you can't run out of bounds, there's no point in, 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 in trying to gain six or seven yards or eight yards or nine yards or whatever it is. There is absolutely nothing to gain by doing it because there are very few quarterbacks who can consistently run and maintain their health. I mean, who's the most successful mobile quarterback of the last 15 years in terms of being able to stay healthy? Maybe Russell Wilson. And he's had injuries, but is it, can you think of anybody else that is consistently able to run and stay healthy? I'm not talking about for a few games they can run. I'm not talking about every now and then they might tuck the ball and take off. I'm talking about somebody who has been able to get outside the pocket and consistently make plays with his legs and also avoid serious injury. Every quarterback who's mobile in the NFL ends up significantly injured if they are mobile long enough. 
and probably the most successful mobile quarterback of the last 20 years is Michael Vick. And he had all sorts of injuries from uh, from things that he took when he left the pocket. Maybe you can go back in time and say Steve Young or Joe Montana. Sorry, Steve Young or uh, or John Elway. But those guys were playing in a different era. I, I don't know that you could take those hits today. The guys are bigger, stronger, faster now than when Steve Young and John Elway were playing. I'm trying to think of a guy other than Russell Wilson. I, Cam Newton has become a shell of himself. He can barely run now. Uh, we don't even know how many years he's got left. Ultimately, the NFL is a passer's game. And if you can't make a living passing inside the pocket, then you're worthless as a quarterback in this league. Sooner or later, they will stop you from being able to run. And not only will they stop you, they will severely injure you on the defensive side of the ball. Even a guy like Joe Flacco, who's clearly a quintessential pocket quarterback, is getting destroyed there on this play. Well, Kiko Alonso uh, was uh, approached after the game. Game was not. Game was a laugher. Uh, the Ravens win forty to nothing. It was an awful Thursday night contest. But Kiko Alonso was approached uh, after the game, and this is what he said to defend himself. I thought maybe if he slid a second sooner, I was anticipating him sliding. I was going to not hit him, but I think he, it was like you know uh, second late, which is why I hit him. You know, when a guy slides, you know, his target is very small. I just think, uh, you know, it was like a second a second late, which is why I hit him, to be honest with you. See, I think Alonzo, uh, Kigo Alonzo, could have just gone over the top of him because he was going full speed. But I think instead of hitting him, once he's given himself up to slide, as low as Alonzo was going, it was definitely the case, in my opinion, that he knew that Flacco was going to slide and he was just trying to get a hit on him. And... Look, uh, to me, in that situation, he should have just gone over the top of him and tried to avoid hitting him at all instead of leading with the shoulder and going right in at the head level. You know the quarterback is going to slide there. And I understand you think, oh, I'm going to stop him from getting that first down. That's what I'm trying to do. But he went heat-seeking missile on him. Uh, John Harbaugh was also asked about the hit after the game, and he had this to say. Joe had a concussion and a cut ear. His ear was cut from like in here all the way down to his earlobes. They were stitching that up without any anesthesia, so he's a tough dude at halftime, and that's as much as I know about it. You, you had some words for Alonzo. It was very apparent on TV. Was it? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, we were okay afterwards, so. Are you okay? That, that, that wasn't a clean hit, was it? I'm not commenting on that. Yeah. It was, I was penalized correctly, I would say. Did you feel like an ejection was? That's not for me to say. But thanks for asking. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No question. No question. It's a fair question. Put it that way. It's a fair question. I'm surprised that Harbaugh wouldn't say yes and an ejection was merited. Maybe it's because his own defense over the years has also had its share of borderline hits, and so he didn't want to necessarily take the next step and criticize that and then look like a hypocrite when one of his guys takes out a quarterback. But to me, the most important thing the NFL can do is protect quarterbacks because quarterbacks ultimately determine whether their games are watchable or not. I mean, a Ryan Mallett versus Matt Moore Thursday night football game is not very good. A Joe Flacco versus Matt Moore contest is not very good either, but it's a lot better than what Matt Moore against Ryan Mallett would have looked like. And so my opinion is that was a dirty hit. NFL needs to send a message to defensive players that quarterbacks, especially when they slide like that, even if they're giving themselves up a little bit late, that you can't hit them. You have to protect the quarterback position right now in this league, particularly given how many of quarterback, how many of the quarterbacks out there 
are getting injured. You might say, oh, well, I long for the NFL, the eras of big hits and everything else. Well, frankly, there's like 12 quarterbacks in this league who can play at a high level. And if you took these 12 quarterbacks out of the league right now, the NFL would be unwatchable. I'm going to open up the phone lines. I'll bring in the crew and see whether or not they agree with me that that hit was dirty from Kiko Alonso. 877-996-6369. You guys can weigh in. Hope your Friday is going spectacularly well. Thanks for spending it with us. I'm Clay Travis. This is OutKick, the coverage. Great news. Quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance as well. With True Car, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for and, on average, save over three grand off MSRP. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. I asked the question on Twitter, and you can go find me there. Uh, do you believe Kiko Alonso should have been ejected for his Joe Flacco hit? Um, and uh, it's an early question that's out there, and obviously it's early in the morning. But right now, several hundred of you have already voted. You can find me on Twitter at Clay Travis, and the vote is coming in at 58% of you believe that Alonzo should have been ejected for that Joe Flacco hit. 42% saying no. We'll see how those numbers adjust as the show progresses. But right now, like I said, several hundred of you voting, and the numbers are around 58% to 42%. One of the things I find that's interesting is uh, once we get about 1,200 votes in, the numbers typically don't change very much. In the first 1,200, they can uh, they can fluctuate quite a bit, uh, but uh, I don't think that these are going to fluctuate that much. My guess is it's going to be about 60% yes, 40% no. I want to bring in the crew and see what, uh, what you guys' verdicts are. Uh, Jason Martin, should he or should he not have been um, uh, got ahead and, uh, and kicked out for the game based on that hit? Well, you know, I try not to – I try to look at these things differently, but you couldn't look at this differently. Like, there was no possible – I know it's bang-bang. I understand these things are bang-bang and they're quick. But he didn't even attempt to do anything but lower the boom straight into the head of Joe Flacco. Like, this was flat-out not okay. In fact, I think he should be suspended for a game for this. Because – not just because it's quarterback, but because if you're trying to legislate in this league the way that you do and you're not going to throw that guy out of the game – what impetus is there for any player to then pull up again? Like, why You're right, because you a 15 yard penalty, out? a 15 yard penalty is 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 well spent. I mean, if you can knock out the opposing team's quarterback with an, an illegal hit, and all you get is a 15 yard penalty, um, I, I think that is uh, th- that's a trade that just about every, if they're being honest, just about every defensive player and defensive coordinator in the league would make. If you told them right now, hey. On Sunday, one of your top defensive players is going to get a 15-yard penalty, but he's going to knock out the quarterback for the play. Would you take that trade? Almost every single one of them would. In fact, I think every single one of them would. Now, they might not agree to it publicly, but if you can decapitate the quarterback, especially when there's a big drop-off to the second string, and there almost is on every team in the NFL. I mean, the difference between getting QB1 and QB2 in the NFL is, is night and day. Uh, I mean, that's the truth. And so I'm trying to think who has the best backup quarterback in the league right now. Maybe maybe the Patriots. There aren't very many teams where, and, and the line would still adjust substantially on the drop-off from Tom Brady to uh, to Jimmy Garoppolo. But, I mean, how many uh, teams out there that have good quarterbacks? I mean, good quarterbacks. Not like, oh, the Cleveland Browns. Well, if you knock out QB1 of the Browns, well, QB2 and QB3 
they still stink, and they're all kind of interchangeable. I'm talking about the difference between Joe Flacco and Ryan Mallett is substantial from a win percentage perspective. And the top 15 or 20 quarterbacks, by and large, there's a big drop-off between them and everybody else in the league. All right, uh, what about you guys uh, in L.A.? Do you think that Alonzo should have been either kicked out or potentially face a suspension for this? I'm going to say no. I don't think that he should have been ejected. Um, I mean, it was definitely a, a vicious hit. But the reason I say no ejection is is because, of one, he, he led with his shoulder. It wasn't like he, he lowered his helmet looking for, you know, a helmet-to-helmet hit. And secondly, I, I mean, I know this is a much easier to, to say watching the replay time and time again, but – Flacco did slide pretty late. It looked like he was going to try and like push for that first down. And then at the last second, he decided, oh, I'm not going to make it for the first down. Granted, yes, it's still an illegal hit, and, and maybe he could have he could have pulled up a bit, but I don't think it's the ejectable. But you know, definitely should have been. You know, flagged. people say Flacco slid slid late. To me, that's just Joe Flacco not being that good at running in the open field. I mean, he doesn't make a living assessing the speed with which defenders are approaching him, I think he probably thought, oh, I'm going to get this first down. And then he was like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm not as fast as I thought I was. And so he slid. To me, once you slide, once you slide, Alonzo, see, the thing that that doesn't make sense to me is Alonzo is going, he's not going to try to tackle him up top, right? He's trying to take him out. And it looks like he's going low on him. So once he slides, to me, Alonzo could have just dove right over the top of him and avoided making contact with him at all, given the fact that he had already started his his uh, his hit. To me, Alonzo, if you look at that, adjust his hit to try to hit Flacco low. Because most of the time, think about it, when you see a quarterback running in the open field, most of the times guys aren't trying necessarily to take out their legs. You might try to take out a guy's legs if it's like, uh, if it's, I don't know, Rob Gronkowski. I would love to hear... Alonzo assess what he was trying to do there. Why was he going so low to begin with? Was he planning on taking out Flacco's legs? In which case, once Flacco slid, all he could do was hit him from that angle? Or, more accurately, do I think he saw Flacco start to slide and then adjusted himself to hit him low so that he would hit him as violently as he could? Now, he didn't lead with his helmet, but when you lead with like, like a forearm shiver to the side of a guy's head... Like, to me, he was trying to knock him out of the game. I don't think there's any doubt. What about you, Danny G? Yeah, that exact reason you just mentioned is why I think he should not be penalized any further with a suspension. Um, I mean, I, I don't know about some money being taken out of his paycheck on the 1st or 15th. That's a possibility, and I wouldn't disagree with that. But the fact that he led with his shoulder, I think that makes all the difference in the world. This was not... Vontez Perfect with that crazy, you know, headhunting shot we saw uh, recently. It wasn't that. It was his momentum carrying him into the quarterback. And obviously, like you said, maybe it, it is has something to do with Flacco not being very athletic. But still, if you're looking at it in full speed, it looked like he was tr- attempting that first down. So the fact that his helmet flew off and there was some blood, I think that made it worse than what it was, which is why so many people were freaked out by it. I think that the NFL just needs to be as upfront as it possibly can be and say all players are not going to be treated equally on the field because they're not all equally important. The quarterback and his health matter so much more than everybody else on the field that we are going to have a standard of protection for quarterbacks that doesn't exist for other players. 
and people can say, well, that's not fair. I mean, I think that is perfectly valid given how bad an NFL game becomes if top quarterbacks are injured. And look, we've already adjusted the rules multiple times. When Tom Brady missed an entire season, we implemented the target zone on quarterbacks. And I think the hits that I see these guys take, I mean, I'm not even kidding about this. If I had a really good quarterback, I almost think that I would instruct him never run. If the play isn't there, just throw the ball away. We don't need you to gain four or five yards because the value for you getting hit outside of the pocket, whatever you can gain, unless it's the Super Bowl and we've got to have a first down or it's in the playoffs, I would change my rules. But in a regular season game where there are literally, what, 150 plays that take place during a game, the odds of your scramble changing the outcome of a game are really pretty low. And frankly, it's just not worth it to us. So if the play breaks down and there's nobody open at all, I would suggest just fling the ball out of bounds and don't even worry about trying to scramble for any yardage. I mean, I asked the question earlier, how many guys really have been able to make a living as mobile quarterbacks for years without significant injury? The only one I can think of right now is Russell Wilson. Uh, modern era. Now, back in the day, John Elway was a mobile quarterback. Steve Young was a mobile quarterback. I mean, all the way back to Randall Cunningham. Like, you can talk about a lot of different guys who have run consistently. But at this point in time, who's the mobile quarterback that hasn't missed substantial numbers of games with injury? The only one I can think of is Russell Wilson. Can you guys even think of another guy? I mean, and, and, and I'm not saying, look... Russell Wilson is living on borrowed time when I when I hear that number. If I'm a Falcons fan, I mean, sorry, if I'm a Seahawks fan, I don't want Russell Wilson running at this point. I know he runs selectively. I know it makes him hard to defend. But is there any way that the scrambling value of a quarterback like that cancels out what happened to Aaron Rodgers? Missing the majority of the season. What happens to Marcus Mariota? What happens to... Basically, anybody who tries to make a living as a mobile quarterback in the NFL, it just doesn't work. And by the way, that kind of factors in with why I think RG3 and Kaepernick ultimately don't work either because you can't win with a mobile quarterback. The only way you can consistently win in the NFL is with a quarterback who drops back under center and can make the throw on third and eight to get you a first down. That's it. Who is the best? You want to know who the best quarterbacks are in the NFL. They're the guys who drop back in the pack in the pocket on third down and 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 yards, 100% passing downs, and can consistently create first downs. And you know how they do it? With their arms. So I understand, look, being mobile is great. Being able to withstand the attack of an on-rushing defensive end and slide in the pocket and all those things are great. But there is not a guy alive right now who is not uh, who is mobile that is able to consistently win you games. I just don't. Can you guys think other than Russell Wilson? Is there a guy you can think of that hasn't missed multiple games because of injury from outside the pocket scrambling hits? Um, the one that I would point to, and I don't know that he would necessarily be considered a mobile quarterback, but he's definitely he's definitely good at scrambling. Is, is Alex Smith? I don't know what's Alex Smith's injury history. I mean, he's had some pretty severe injuries, hasn't he? Didn't he have? Wasn't it Alex Smith last year who got the nasty concussion on a slide? 
Was I, I? I don't. I don't remember. You might. Was be it? Right. Wasn't yeah, that he where missed, Alex he missed the game last season due to a concussion? Due to wasn't that controversy protocol. where Alex Smith's wife came out and said if that had been Tom Brady, the guy would have had a more significant penalty? Was that Alex Smith? He, yeah, he has four career concussions uh, so far, dating back to 2012. He's missed at least one game in four of five seasons due to that. Yeah, oh, and right, and well. I remember the most the most recent one is if I remember in the wasn't it the preseason. Because uh, he was sliding, and I think it was Alex Smith, and I think it was Alex Smith's wife who actually went public and said, "This is a this is a disgrace." She called out the NFL basically, and she said, "If this had been Tom Brady, this happened to. There's no way that the guy who hit him would have avoided penalty, but because it's Alex Smith, people don't protect him in the same way." Look that up and check and see as as we bring in Eddie Garcia. I think I'm correct about that, but I would even eliminate Alex Smith. I think the only guy is Russell Wilson right now. And it's not to say it's not going to happen to Russell Wilson. I, I would put him on uh, – on uh, if I were Pete Carroll, I'd be saying, hey, Russell, just don't run. Just throw the ball out of bounds. At this point in time, there's nothing to be gained very much from running until we get to the playoffs. Eddie Garcia, what's shaking, my man? Well, Clay, you're obviously talking about the uh, Thursday night football game in Baltimore and the hit on Joe Flacco. Let's focus, as far as this update's purposes, on the game itself. Now, it wasn't a good game, uh, but an impressive performance by the Ravens, in particular their defense. They went at 40 to nothing. Uh, obviously, they get the shutout. Uh, Matt Moore, the quarterback for Miami, playing in place of the injured Jay Cutler, threw two interceptions. The Ravens turned, returned both of those for touchdowns. They also shut down running back Jay Ajayi. He had 13 carries for 23 yards. Ravens keeping their playoff hopes alive with a much-needed win, uh, at least maybe a wild-card shot. Who knows? 4-4 four and four on the season for Baltimore right now. Miami drops to 4-3. and three with that loss. We had a college football game involving a ranked team and number 20 Stanford escaped with a 15-14 win at Oregon State. Now the Beavers had the ball and the lead late, but they fumbled. And then Stanford quarterback Keller Christ had a three-yard touchdown pass with 20 seconds left as the Cardinal again get that win. And they win without their star running back and Heisman contender Bryce Love, who was out with an ankle injury. In baseball, Joe Girardi is out as manager of the New York Yankees. In 10 years as skipper in the Bronx, he averaged 91 wins per season, made the postseason five times, and won a World Series. But again, he is out of a job. And Clay, I don't know if you saw this, but you're on top of most college football things. USA Today released its college football coaching salary database on Wednesday. Top five coaches as far as salary for this season, and most of them are obvious. Nick Saban, $11 million. Dabo Sweeney at Clemson, $8.5 million. Jim Harbaugh, $7 million at Michigan. Urban Meyer, $6.4 million at Ohio State. And rounding out the top five, Rich Rodriguez at Arizona making $5.6 million for this season. Yeah, uh, Jim Harbaugh, like I said, most overpaid and overrated coach in college football history. Uh, coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios. Easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. And uh, am I correct there that the, uh, the the hit on Alex Smith happened last year and he had a significant injury? Yes, October the 30th, he took a helmet-to-helmet hit when he was scrambling on the open dry, the opening drive against the Colts. Uh, he was hit by Edwin Jackson. He was taken out. Nick Foles comes in. They put him back in the game in the third quarter, and on another run, his head smacks the turf, and he gets a concussion. So he actually was knocked out of that game twice with shots to the head, once self-inflicted, once due to something similar to what Alonzo did. And so I think, I mean, is there anybody, nobody else is reacting on Twitter. I mean, I think that Russell Wilson is like the last of the Mohicans here. I mean, the last running quarterback that has not been severely injured because of it. I know Russell Wilson has had a bunch of different injuries, 
Uh, but I don't remember one in particular being attributed to his mobile nature. I think, you know, he just takes some hits. Uh, and generally speaking, Russell Wilson is pretty good at ducking down, sliding, getting out of bounds, and avoiding hits. And obviously, he's not running on intentionally designed quarterback pl- run plays. He is uh, he is actually, you know, kind of taking off when the play breaks down and trying to get the yardage that he can. And I know it makes it more difficult to defend the Seahawks, and I know it makes uh, Russell Wilson a better quarterback to give him the opportunity to do that. But to me, if I'm if I'm the, the Seahawks, I'm telling Russell Wilson, let's look at more tape of Drew Brees because I see Russell Wilson as kind of a Drew Brees clone, a smaller guy with a really big arm who can make every throw but doesn't necessarily have the height advantages that other big pocket passers do. And so he's got to kind of look for his angles and look for uh, his, his, his sight lines to be able to see uh, down the field in the same way that Drew Brees does. And Drew Brees almost never runs. And uh, the reason is because, you know, you're protected somewhat. Now, you're never really that protected. You can get injured in the pocket, certainly. Uh, but I just I just don't think it's a good risk-reward in general in situations such as those. I mean, I just think it's a bad uh, it's a bad idea to let your quarterback run. And certainly, if you're a big guy like Flacco, getting out into the open field and taking a hit like that is just not worth it. I mean, your, your value to the team is, throw the ball out of bounds, come back and play on another, uh, another you know, series. Uh, right now, over 1,000 of you have voted. Do you believe Kiko Alonso should have been ejected for his Joe Flacco hit? 61% of you are saying yes. And by the way, when I say ejected, Jeff Short said, no, stop with that. He'll get fined and maybe suspended. That's good enough. Uh, okay, so the difference between getting ejected from the game and getting suspended to me is, you know, it's it's the exact. There's no difference there. It's a distinction without a difference. So, it, to me, if you eject him, then okay, that's fine. It maybe it's even better not to necessarily eject him then, but to suspend him later because then you don't have to make an on-the-spot ruling. You don't have to immediately stop the game and maybe go review the play and analyze it and everything else. You can do it after the game and decide to suspend him later. I don't know what the overall outcome is. I do know this: the reason why you suspend is not necessarily to to punish a individual act, right? To me, the reason why you suspend is to send a message about what is inappropriate behavior. So I'm not big on the, oh, let's suspend this guy to teach him an individual lesson. If Kiko Alonso gets suspended or ejected over this hit, I think it's instructive because other NFL players will see that and it will hopefully adjust their behavior on the fly in a difficult situation. Does that make sense to you guys? I'm not big on punitive suspensions designed to punish acts by individuals. I'm big on the NFL or any other league punishing players to send a message about what is and what is not appropriate behavior. And to me, you can't protect Joe Flacco now. He's already taken that hit. But there may be 10 other quarterbacks that are in similar positions at some point this year running in the open field. And if a defender is thinking in the back of his head, I got to be careful here. I don't want to get Kiko Alonzoed. I don't want to get suspended for this hit that he's likely to go less for the kill shot, which keeps your quarterback more protected. The other thing is, guys, I think this is this ties in with the NFL's concussion issue. I've told you before, read League of Denial. If you haven't read League of Denial about the impact of CTE in the NFL and in high-level football, then I think you're not doing yourself a very good service because I think that's an incredibly important book. 
And I know they made the movie. I didn't see the movie, so I don't know how well done the movie was. I actually always say read the book because you'll learn more. If you got kids out there, uh, I think certainly you should read it. If you're a young, you know, high school age kid and you're kind of interested in being smarter about the game of football, I would encourage you again. This is a good gift. If you were out there and you're a mom or you're a dad and you're trying to get your kids to read more, and who isn't if you've got kids trying to get their kids to read more, uh, The Blind Side is a spectacular book by Michael Lewis. It's a good football book. The League of Denial is also a fantastic book. Um, And uh, they're a little bit different, obviously. Uh, But if you're trying to get your kid to read, your son to read, a lot of boys don't read anything now, uh, I would suggest The Blind Side and League of Denial as two interesting football books that may pique their interest. But League of Denial, to me, this is this is the crisis that the NFL is dealing with. When you see the helmet come flying off, when you see Joe Flacco's ear bleeding, and I don't know whether that's from you know the hit itself or whether it's from the way the helmet came off and like a laceration that occurred that way, but we know the concussion is from the hit. And when you're dealing with issues like this, I have said it for a long time. The NFL's biggest threat right now isn't that suddenly they're going to be less Kiko Alonzos, that suddenly athletic linebackers are not going to be playing in the NFL. Those guys are a dime a dozen. There's tons of them. The NFL's threat is not that there's not going to be a lot of quarters or a lot of offensive linemen who are big, strong, physical guys who otherwise really can't play any other sport. The NFL's threat is that quarterbacks are going to be the first ones who get pulled from the game for violence because quarterbacks frequently can make a living in other sports. Most quarterbacks have such strong arms in the NFL that they could have been drafted certainly to play baseball at a minimum. A lot of them could have been pitchers, shortstops, third basemen, guys with really big arms. Why would their moms let their sons play football when they see what can happen to Joe Flacco and then conversely, they see that if their son had gone and played baseball instead, he could have had a 20-year history, a 20-year career playing baseball, guaranteed contracts, limited injuries. Why would a lot of moms not be making that decision? I think the threat, and I've said this before, and I've never heard anybody else pointing it out. I think the biggest threat to the NFL is that almost every quarterback, you go look at their backgrounds, quarterbacks come from middle-class, dual-income homes by and large. Look at all of them. Cam Newton, Russell Wilson, Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, Joe Flacco. Almost every quarterback starting in the NFL who is any good would have gone to college with or without football. They come from dual family homes. They are, uh, they are upper income. They have flexibility in terms of sports they can play. Mom can just as easily drive them to soccer or baseball as she's driving them to quarterback camp. And a lot of moms are going to start making that decision. I'm not doing this anymore. Final segment, 877-996-6369. We're reacting to the big game last night, Thursday night football, Dolphins and uh, the Ravens in particular, the Kiko Alonso hit on Joe Flacco. We'll take your reactions next. 877-996-6369. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Great news. Quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. As well, now's a fantastic time to buy a new Honda. Visit shophonda.com or visit your local Honda dealer today. We're reacting to Thursday night football in the NFL. Thanks for spending your 
uh, Friday morning with us. The weekend rejoice is almost here. Uh, and the question I asked on Twitter, you can go find me there at Clay Travis and cast your own vote. Do you believe uh, Miami Dolphin Kiko Alonso should have been ejected for his hit on Joe Flacco of the Baltimore Ravens last night? Yes, is winning with nearly 2,000 votes cast so far in the first hour of the show. Uh, 62% of you are saying yes that Kiko Alonso should have been ejected for his Joe Flacco hit. 38% of you, as the math would suggest, saying that no, he should not have been ejected. Um, Jason Martin, today is the debut of a show that many people are excited to watch as Halloween moves closer. The eerie sort of uh, desire for horror movies on this weekend leading into Tuesday's Halloween is obviously much in vogue. And Stranger Things 2, for those of us who are Netflix subscribers, dropped early this morning. You've already watched it. How good is it? It's great. Uh, honestly, I don't. it doesn't start as well as it finishes, but I think that that actually plays to its strengths. It comes out of the gate strong, and then it makes kind of a weird decision, which you'll see when you get there. And then when it comes down the stretch, I think it finishes really, really strong. It ends on a high point. I think you'll be left wanting more when you get to the end of it. I enjoyed it more, personally, than the first season. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I, I did. I loved I, I found the it, first season I found it more enjoyable. Things. So did I. So did I. Oh, so, I'm, so you I'm think this is a rare sequel that is even better in the, I mean, like you liked part two of Stranger Things better than you did part one. Yeah, I just think it paced a little bit better. There's one extra episode. You get nine instead of eight this time, so your binge will be an extra hour. The last episode's a little bit over an hour long as well. But, you know, you kind of know these characters now, so you understand this world a little bit better. The first time it was still new, you were still being introduced in a lot of cases to these characters and their families. Now that you know them, they can get more into the meat of the story. I just, personally, I mean, I like them both, like I said. I just... I don't know, maybe it's just because I've become a bigger fan over the last years. I've gone back and rewatched the first season and then gotten into it more and more, but I just felt like the second season was a little bit more complete, and they waited long enough to make us want it to where when it came out, it really worked. What percentage of our audience do you think that's listening right now or listening on podcast or will at some point consume this show have watched Stranger Things? That's a good question. I don't know because there's so much television. I think there were over like 900 scripted series last year alone. Right. Across so all the different things. So you've watched it. I've watched it. L.A., have you guys watched Stranger Things? Yeah, both of us have watched the entire first season. So what do we think? Like, if I put up a poll question, have you watched Stranger Things? Um, what percentage of the audience that will respond to that poll question, obviously, have watched Stranger Things? Well, I, I would go 40 I think it might be more than that because I would say that if they're on Twitter, that there's a more likely yeah, chance fair. that they'd see it. Yeah, because that you figure that that's probably if you're active on Twitter, um, you're probably more likely to be. If you're a, on Twitter, a, that definitely does change things because subscriber. you're on Twitter. That means you've heard a bunch of people talking about it, so that would definitely alter the results. Unless if you just went and like blindly asked a bunch of people at the mall, I think it'd be forty percent. Oh, I mean, I, well, I think our audience is more likely to have watched it, too. But I think the Twitter overlap is strong because the more active you are on social media, I think the younger you probably are. And also, probably the more likely you are to be subscribed to Netflix and Amazon. Like, my dad is 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 listening right now, and he's 70, and there's a 0% chance that he and my mom have seen Stranger Things, right? So, And, and there's also a 0% chance that my dad is going to go vote in a Twitter poll. And so I, I always try to think about our audience, especially on the radio. It's, it's a ver- variety of different – like I would love to see the audience broken down. Like 
what's the average person who's listening on satellite radio on Sirius uh, XM channel 218 or 202 like versus the average person who's listening on you know one of our affiliates in New York State versus California versus Florida versus Texas all over the place versus a podcast uh, person who streams uh, the show and doesn't ever listen to a reel. I mean, I, I'm just kind of totally fascinated by that. Um, and uh, it is uh, it is pretty uh, pretty outstanding to uh, to think about um, all of those different ways now that people can consume content. Speaking of ways that people can consume content, uh, I got maybe the first criticism that I've ever got of this nature. Jason Martin, you have it in front of you right now, and it's pretty unbelievable. Uh, I think we might have lost Jason there for a minute. But it is, uh, this is this is pretty wild. So you guys know, like, uh, there are so many people out there doing hit pieces on me now. Like, I can't even keep up with all the different people out there that are doing hit pieces on me, whether it's the Daily Beast, whether it's Politico. Like, as this show has grown, the number of people trying to tear me down continues to grow. And one of the places, ironically, is Deadspin, where I used to work. And this is even wilder. Uh, because uh, Deadspin wrote what is pretty crazy. They wrote an article today where they literally said that they think I'm going to hell. And here is the uh, here is the the closing paragraph of this article. I'm n- I mean, I'm not even making this up. This is how far uh, things have gone. Uh, maybe sites like Outkick are flourishing in the age of Trump, but let me tell you something. There will be a reckoning. Maybe Clay Travis won't pay professionally for his horse crap, but he'll pay any time he's got to look a woman in the eye. He'll pay any time someone on the street says to him, hey, I saw your tweet. And he's got to worry about what they're going to say next. And he'll pay at the gates of hell. They said, I'm going to hell. <laughs> Have you ever heard of that? Deadspin has taken it next level on me on the hate. They have written yesterday, Clay Travis has got to worry about what they're going to say next. And he'll pay at the gates of hell. That is one of the. Can you guys believe that? Do you believe that I'm going to hell because I like boobs and because of this radio show that I do and the website that I run? Deadspin has literally written that I am going to pay at the gates of hell. Do you think the gates of hell have fast pass? Because I hate waiting in line. If I'm going to have to wait in line to go to hell, I'm really upset about that. I'm, Disney World is totally different if you have the Fast Pass. If they don't have Fast Pass at hell yet, I'm going to be really, really upset. Totally crushed. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote as well. Duralast batteries designed to stand up to even the most extreme weather conditions. They're built with patented technology to reduce damage due to vibration and deliver the most power during startup. They're proven tough and sold only at AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. We're in the zone here, and I have put out several different poll questions for you knuckleheads to vote in. Uh, And if I can pull them up, I will tell you what they are. Uh, First of all, uh, we are reacting to Thursday night football last night between the Dolphins and the Ravens. The big story, Kiko Alonso and his hit on Joe Flacco. And I am asking you guys, do you believe that uh, Kiko Alonso should have been ejected for his Joe Flacco hit? 62% of you are saying yes. I love these Twitter polls, and I don't know how accurate they are, but tens of thousands of you will typically end up voting in them, and I do think they give a rough approximation, at least, of what my Twitter audience believes. And the Twitter audience, uh, for me, and you can find me on uh, on Twitter, at Clay Travis, 
uh, has become substantial at least. We're over 500,000 followers. You know, 20,000 people will vote. 15,000 people will vote in each of these polls. So I do think it's kind of an interesting test case. So pretty substantial majority, 62% of you, thinks that he should have been ejected based on what happened there. Now, first of all, I'm fighting through a cold today, so I apologize for all the sniffling, but I'm lucky to be alive, let's be honest. Secondly, uh, a couple of other additional polls. Uh, have you watched Stranger Things? Stranger Things 2 drops today as we head into the weekend when many of you will be celebrating Halloween. Uh, Stranger Things is a series on Netflix. Last year was season one. This year, season two is out. And uh, so far, approaching 1,000 of you have voted, and it's almost exactly even. About half of my Twitter following has watched Stranger Things. By the way, if you have Netflix and you haven't watched it, then you should. This is amazing to me. I have never heard, like, I, maybe I'm wrong. But I feel like I get ripped for a lot of stuff that nobody else ever gets ripped for. And in particular, yesterday, Deadspin wrote, Deadspin's a a, a sports blog that used to be run by by men with penises, and now it's run by men who have cut their penises off and held them up to apologize to women for having penises. Um, They said uh, on their website uh, that that I'm going to pay for what I have written and said in my career and I'll definitely pay at the gates of hell. So they are saying that I am going to go to hell for what I have done in my career as a sports writer. I don't remember anybody ever getting criticized. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong on this. Can you remember anybody ever getting criticized who was in the sports opinion business to such an extent that people said he was going to go to hell? Or she, certainly no woman gets criticized like that that a major site like Deadspin would say that I'm going to go to hell. Not for anything that I've done, but just for, like, physically. Like, oh, Clay Travis has killed people. Or, oh, Clay Travis has committed crimes. Like, so far as I know, I have never committed any crime. Certainly, I have never been charged with any crime or had to go on trial for a crime or anything like that. They're saying that I'm going to go to hell because of the things that I have said and the things that I have written. Let's bring in the crew. Can you remember... Jason Martin, anybody in the world of sports media ever being written that they're going to go to hell because of what they have said uh, or written in the world of sports? Can you ever remember seeing somebody say that about somebody in our industry? No, I don't think they're saying it because of your sports content. If you want me to try and come up with a reason, it's definitely the first time I've heard it in a sports personality, but I don't think they see you as a sports personality either. So the, you think it's the political commentary that they think I'm going to go to yeah. hell for? I mean, that and the culture commentary, like the the stuff that they deem either racist or sexist or whatever like that. You're in the class with a Howard Stern, and then they will also loop you in with an Alex Jones or somebody like that. They don't see you as Dan Patrick, for example, so I don't necessarily think they are going after a sports media personality. They're going after somebody they just deem a monster in general. But a monster because of things that I have said and done. Like, you're going to go to hell because we disagree with your opinions about things. That seems like a really aggressive definition of hell. Like, whether you believe uh, that, that, that hell is filled with tons of people or not, it seems like you should have to do things to go to hell, Right. Like, my opinions on the world of sports and politics and culture, like, that's so offensive to Deadspin that I should go to hell for it? That seems, like, I I think what's happening here, and and I'll bring in L.A. to find out, they live in L.A. You can't live in L.A. and think I'm going to go to hell for anything. I mean, that's like, like you're already in Hades. Um, What's amazing about about this is, um, I think what's happening is we're in a weird era. 
we're in a weird era that I believe is like a modern-day Joe McCarthy era. And everybody out there is constantly looking around for somebody to have sent a tweet or somebody to have written something that is a tinge offensive to anybody. And then they're like, oh, you've got to be fired. You can't continue to do your job. And I've got so much stuff out there, millions of words in the 13 or 14 years that I have written and talked about sports, politics, pop culture, or whatever. And people are like, how can Clay Travis say everything that he says and still be employed anywhere? Well, first of all, I employ myself. So suck on it. Secondly, it's because I'm honest, and that's why we have such a massive audience. And I think that is what drives people crazy now. It used to be, oh, Clay Travis sucks, but he's just starting out. Nobody's paying attention to him. Now I have eclipsed all of my critics, and we are dominating on all facets. And it used to be, oh, Clay Travis is going to be a failure. That's what I used to hear. Oh, Clay Travis is going to be such a failure. Don't pay attention to him. Now we're big, and it's clear that I'm a success. And now all these Lilliputans out there, all these tiny little losers, they're like, oh, we got to go pull Clay Travis down. He's going to hell. Can you believe that? Have you, like, literally Deadspin wrote that I'm going to go to hell? Like, that's a different, even for me, I was like, wow. Like, uh, give Deadspin credit. Like, I can't believe that now the standard is they're not even judging me on what I'm doing right now in my career. They're now judging my eternal damnation. Like, they, they have moved beyond, oh, well, Clay Travis is really successful now. For a 38-year-old dude, he's massively successful. They're not even fighting that anymore, that he's going to be a loser, he's never going to succeed fight. Now they're like, but he's going to burn in hell for the rest of his life for what he's done. That's a pretty big leap. And honestly, I'm kind of impressed by it. That's such a big leap. I mean, to go from, oh, you know, Clay Travis is going to be a failure in his life. By the way, I was an editor at Deadspin at 28. I was employed by the same site that now says I'm going to burn in hell. That's a that's a hell of a, a pivot. I mean, even that has to surprise you guys in L.A., right? I mean, do you guys think that I'm going to go to hell? <laughs> well, this is kind of like how John Wall was supposedly going to torture Lonzo Ball for 48 minutes the other night. Didn't, yeah. didn't happen, and God would never torture you eternally, Clay. So there's no hell. You're good. Do you think that there would be, like, I, all, like even if I'm going to heaven, I, I, like the pearly gates well, or the gates that. of hell? What's that? I didn't say all that. Yeah, but even if I'm going <laughs> to heaven, let's presume. I don't think it would be very much fun to stand in line. Like, I, I hope that heaven has a fast pass. Because all the people who are dying, like there's tons of people who are going to die today. Hopefully they go to heaven. Hopefully they have a great eternal life. But I don't think that I would be willing to stand in line. And even as I was a little kid, I don't find the idea of eternity to be that entertaining. What I would like to do is just kind of, like, I think I would get bored. What are you going to do all the time? And this has been my question ever since I was a little kid. Like, eternity is a long-ass time. What I would like to do is I would like to just make sure that I don't miss things. Like, if I died and then there was a great television show that came out and I didn't get to watch it, I'd be disappointed about that. If I died and I didn't get to see how my kids or my grandkids are going to turn out or my great-grandkids, I'd be disappointed about that. What I would like to do is just be able to come back in time every now and then and get uploaded with everything that I missed. Oh, like this Stranger Things is really good. Oh, television's gotten even better. Oh, this new book is amazing. Like, I am not happy about the things that I will miss that will come after I'm dead because I think it'll be awesome, right? But the actual eternity 
of never-ending life, like never-ending life, I, it doesn't seem that appealing to me. By the way, I just I, it doesn't like people are like, oh, heaven's gonna be amazing. They're like you're there forever. I I don't know. What are you gonna do? Like you can only like hang out, you know, for so much time. Eventually, you're gonna get bored. I get bored now, and I'm pretty busy now. I can't imagine that I wouldn't get bored in heaven too. Uh, anyway, do you agree with Deadspin that I'm going to hell? Fifty-seven percent of you say no. Forty-three percent of you do think that I'm going to go to hell. Justin Cooper, you're going to go to hell because you don't like Chick-fil-A. What do you think about my likelihood of going to hell? Well, Clay, I, I don't know, uh, you know, what else you do outside of this show, but um, no, I don't. I don't think they're that- saying I'm going to hell not for anything that I've actually done. Like they're not judging me. That's what's so funny about this. They're judging me based on what I say on the radio and what I tweet and what I say on Outkick the Show on Periscope and Facebook and what I write on my website. They're saying I'm going to hell based on my opinions in the world of sports and beyond, which is a standard, like, you could, I could be a serial killer, right? I could be. I'm not, but I could be. I could have all sorts of sinful behavior that I do and engage in on a regular basis. Frankly, I don't do any of that now because I get up at 4 a.m. And the truth of the matter is, I don't think there are that many sinful people who get up at 4 a.m. because you can't get in that much trouble when you go to bed by 10 o'clock. This is, you know, this is the truth. This is why, like, John Chaney would practice his teams at 5 a.m. at Temple when he was a basketball coach because he knew if you make college kids get up at 5 a.m., they're going to be so damn tired at night that they can't go out and chase girls and get in trouble. There's a line like, nothing good happens after midnight. That's wrong. Everything good happens after midnight if you're in college. Every pretty much sexual act that happens after midnight happens after, you know, happens after the bars, after being out on the night for the town. But if you want your people to stay completely out of trouble, make them get up at 4 a.m. like me. There ain't that much you can get into. Honestly, nothing happens before 10 o'clock. You got three young kids in my house. Like, I got nothing I can get into. So I'll, it'd be a real upset if I went to hell. But 42% of you think I'm going to go to hell for my opinions. And 50% of you have watched Stranger Things. And 62% of you believe Kiko Alonso should have been ejected for that Joe Flacco hit. Let's get ready for the weekend in college football in the NFL. My guy Lance Taylor at the Lance Taylor going to join me next. He's 94.5 uh, Jocks FM in Birmingham. Awesome dude. We'll talk about the NFL. We'll talk about college football. We'll get you ready for the weekend to come. And uh, hopefully I won't go to hell between now and then. This, I'll kick the coverage. Welcome back in. Hope your Friday is going spectacularly well. I want to remind you the Casper Mattress Comfort Foam guarantees you sleep cool and perfectly balanced. And its support foam provides long-lasting durability. Try your Casper for 100 nights risk-free. Go to Casper.com and use code CLAY and you could save 75 bucks. That's code CLAY, C-L-A-Y for the Bama fans out there. Minimum purchase required. See site for details. Terms and conditions apply. We bring in now my guy, Lance Taylor, at the Lance Taylor on Twitter. He's on Jocks 94.5 down in Birmingham. Uh, LT, you were uh, at the Tennessee-Alabama game, a once-proud rivalry. Was that the saddest rivalry game you've ever gone to? You know, it really is, Clay, and I tried to bring this up on our show last week, and I said it's not a rivalry anymore. It's really not. I agree. The rivalry, you've got to have some competition, and there's got to be some intrigue. And going into that game, I mean, the only thing that we – there were two things we weren't sure of. Would Tennessee score a touchdown because it had been 10 consecutive quarters? And number two, would Butch be fired after that game? Well, they got a touchdown on the pick six. Of course, their offense couldn't do it for them, and uh, Butch was not fired. But – I mean, it's embarrassing what Nick Saban's been able to do to this program. 
And uh, I just don't understand it. I mean, Tennessee's better than this. I still consider it a top 25 program. And for them not to be competitive and to take advantage of the state of the SEC East over the last five years um, is baffling. It really is. Uh, I agree with you completely. Now, I want to ask you about another SEC question. Do you believe Jim McElwain just made up these death threats to try to make himself get some sympathy before what I believe is going to be a total ass-kicking that Kirby Smart and Georgia are going to put on the Gators? Like, First of all, do you agree with me that I know you've been through a lot of cocktail parties over the years, and this is a rivalry game, and those are always a little bit dangerous to bet on, but I just don't think Florida can score against this Georgia defense, and I think it's going to be ugly, and I think McElwain knows it in the back of his mind and he's trying to kind of curry some favor right before the beatdown. Well, uh, a couple of things. I mean, some things I've sworn off this gambling season. I'm not going against George. I'm not fading the Bulldogs anymore because they have totally torched me. Um, I'm not playing. I'm not going. I'm not backing USC anymore because they can't cover. And I'm totally staying away from the uh, 11 o'clock Central games, uh, 9 o'clock Pacific games. Uh, (laughs) But your original question. Um, I brought it up a couple of days ago. It just seems weird. Um, the guy's making $5 million, and I think anybody in that spot, when they're coaching for a passionate fan base, um, if things aren't going well, probably are going to receive some death threats. You know, it's one thing if uh, somebody you know calls you out on Twitter and says, I'm going to kill you. Um, it's another thing if there's a cat hanging from your, um, your foyer when you get up in the morning with a noose around his neck and it's been gutted. Um, I mean, I think he is buying time. I hate to, I hate to call somebody out like this, but I tend to agree, and I think it's backfiring and blowing up in Jim McElwain's face. I mean, the university was- said they asked him for more information about this, and I mean, they they basically threw him under the bus. And to me, well, look- that means that they're not that happy with him too. That there's a divide between the administration and McElwain. Well, this this could be a way a way out on the buyout. Um, or for him know. to just take another job. Like, I think there's a decent chance. I said this on yesterday's show. I think there's a decent chance that at the end of the year, there's a lot of jobs that open up. And sometimes guys just don't fit the program. And I think McElwain, I think the Florida job's too big for him. I, I, I really do. I just, I don't think, you know, his personality, I don't think that uh, the way he responded in the offseason to the picture of him with the, the, the shark you know, like the funny viral picture of him, a naked guy on top of a shark that looked just like Jim McElwain. Like, he treated that as if it were an incredibly serious story. And I don't know. I just, I feel the same way a little bit about Butch Jones. I think Butch Jones needs to be the coach of Cincinnati, right? I think he needs to be a middle-tier coach because he can't handle bigger scrutiny from bigger programs. And I think Jim McElwain's the same way. Look, I, I agree with you. Butch is a Group Five coach. McElwain is a West Coast guy. The guy's from Montana, and I'm going to make the prediction: Oregon State is obviously going to be open, but Washington State, if Mike Leach makes a move, I think either one of those schools would be really good for McElwain. You don't have any pressure. Uh, you go back out west and you just uh, coach football. But I agree with you 100. percent This story's weird. We've had another death threat earlier this year. Um, you know that was a little that was a weird situation too. I don't know why people want to go to the death threat. Um, I'm sure you've had a million death yeah, threats. Yeah, this is this is my yeah. This is my thing about the death threat in general. First of all, you should be prosecuted at some point to send a message that you that social media is not different than real life. And to me, in real life, if somebody like you said, if somebody makes a death threat to you with their own, you know, if they call in on radio or if they do it um, in face to face, certainly they deserve to be prosecuted. I think on Twitter is the same way. 
I think that if you make those comments face to face, they should be treated the same as they are on social media. So I'm not in, I'm not like saying that it's not a significant thing, but I think that if you are in the public eye, I'm in the public eye. I get a death threat every week, right? Somebody says, if I see you, I'm going to kill you, like whatever. And I think that's stupid of them to do, but it's not like I'm running around saying, oh my God, can you believe somebody said this to me? And certainly I'm not trying to turn it into a major story. And he had to understand that if he said that in that meeting, that it was going to turn into a big story. Well, here's going to be the worst thing for McIlwain and the Florida Gators. Uh, it's not getting any better because you're right. They're going to get run off the field. They cannot score with Georgia. And Georgia's got what is a borderline elite defense. So I don't, I don't, I don't know how Florida's going to manufacture points. And I think after that, it might come off the rails, Clay. And I know this sounds insane. At Missouri is going to be a really difficult Oh, I game. think they lose at Missouri. I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really do, because Missouri I, I can score. I, I, I yeah. think they lose five consecutive games. I think they lose at South Carolina. And when Florida drops five consecutive games and they're playing Florida State to get bowl eligible, that's a problem. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I think that there's trouble there. Okay, big games. There's a lot of big games this weekend in college football. I'm going to get to the NFL to you as well, because I know you're a big Rams fan, and your Rams are on fire this year, unbelievably. But in, in the college football universe – We have got Penn State against Ohio State. Penn State going on the road after their big win over Michigan. You love Ohio State. Why? Um, I just think it's a great spot. You know, I think revenge will play a factor. Um, I know James Franklin's your boy here. Uh, JT Barrett, this this is one of these career moments for him. And, you know, obviously the guy's got a ton of experience. He hasn't played well in the big games the last couple of years, but I think he plays well in this spot. I think Ohio State's defense shows up. I mean, you go back to last year, and this was really the turning point for Penn State. If they don't get that blocked field goal, um, you know, you just wonder how different the season would have been. I just I, – this, this number's out of whack, too. I mean, you would give me that. This number should be more like uh, Ohio State 3. For Ohio State to be sitting at a 6.5, 7-point favorite, that tells me all I need to know. Um, and, and the public backing Penn State 100%. Um, I think Ohio State shows up in all three phases, and uh, I think they win this game by 21 points. Yeah, look, if that happens, then I think Ohio State is just going to traipse all the way into the uh, – I think they'll win out. Do you buy into this? Because I've gotten a lot of criticism for this, but I think that Jim Harbaugh, if you look at his results so far at Michigan, is the most overhyped coach in the history of college football. Now, I will say that Charlie Weiss is also in the running. But otherwise, are you with me that, that Harbaugh has been very overhyped so far relative to the results? Uh, uh, yeah, Michigan? a thousand percent, Clay. And I brought this up the other day. He's become irrelevant in the Big Ten. Um, when you talk about Big Ten coaches, everybody talks about Urban Meyer and James Franklin now. So Harbaugh is kind of number three on that list. And, and that, uh, because he's, he's one and two against uh, D'Antonio. And if D'Antonio didn't have an awful season last year, then, I mean, I think people would say that Harbaugh is the fourth-best coach in his own division. Yeah, and just wait and see what – look, Paul Christ and, and the, the schedule's been awful for Wisconsin. Um, but if they continue to win, I mean, this is a guy that is going – I mean, regardless of what happens this year, they're going to win at least 11 games. So it's going to be three consecutive years. He's won double digits in his first three years in Madison. So when we're just comparing records, uh, you would have to say Paul Christ has had more success. But Harbaugh, this is what bothers me about this. And I've said it a million times, if you've got Urban Meyer or Nick Saban in year three at their programs and they're only returning five starters, there's no excuse. Everybody talks about the assistant yes. for Michigan. He's had enough time to build this. There should never be any excuse for Jim Harbaugh. The money he's making, the program he's with, uh, they should win 10 games each and every year at least. What I've always found, and I think you'll back me up on this, is coaches who argue youth never win at a high level. Just think well, about it. I mean, if you I mean, make the, excuses the, 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 and say I mean, you're the, the, young, 
especially if it's year three or beyond, that's on you. I mean, Urban Meyer won a national championship at Ohio State in three years with his third-string quarterback. Nick Saban went undefeated 14-0, and won a national championship, beat Texas in the Rose Bowl to win a national championship in his third year. Uh, and Urban obviously also won a national championship in his second year. A lot of talk about Jim Harbaugh. I'm wondering about his college football performance. Everybody said, oh, he turned it around at Stanford. Well, he had Andrew Luck in year four. Who's his Andrew Luck at Michigan? Uh, it's, there hasn't been one that's even close. Yes. Um, and here's what I would say. I mean, great coaches get it done in year two. You look at what Kirby Smart's doing right now at Georgia. No, I mean, exactly. Going back to the, to the Bulldogs, and I mean, this is almost the exact model that Nick Saban had in 2008 with Alabama. I mean, look, this this isn't a good example, and we have no idea idea where this uh, this situation's going in Ames, Iowa. But Matt Campbell, who comes in from the MAC, has got Iowa State at five and two, and he's already got as many signature wins as Jim Harbaugh does. I mean, this is a guy that's beaten Oklahoma and Texas Tech on the road, two top twenty fives. No, it's a great point. I was going to go to that next. We've got two other top 25 games, TCU-Iowa State, NC State at Notre Dame. NC State and Iowa State are both around touchdown underdogs. Who's more likely to pull the upset or either more likely to pull the upset in your mind? Yeah, I don't know if I'm buying Iowa State uh, right now. I think there's still an opportunity where uh, they don't even go bowling. I mean, they could lose out even to Baylor on the road in Waco November 18th. Um I think they'll get the six wins, but uh, I don't think they've got enough offense for this TCU defense. And Kenny Hill's playing tremendous football, not turning it over right now. So I would go NC State. Coming off a bye, uh, you look at Bradley Chubb and that defensive front for NC State. Notre Dame, and I got to watch all 60 minutes of the dismantling of USC last week. I mean, they can run the football as well as anyone in college football. Josh Adams is a complete stud. Wimbush has got to get a little more um, consistent throwing the football. But I think um, NC State, with the dominant defense, because Notre Dame is so one-dimensional, I think they've got a shot there. Um, and, and that, you know, to me, that's, that's one of those elimination games. Uh, one of those teams, uh, you know, goes down, and obviously they're out of the picture. If Notre Dame wins out, though, Clay, I don't know your opinion on that. Based on schedule, I think if Notre Dame goes 11-1, and I think they're in. I think it's a good chance they'd be in. I think Georgia has to be in above them if they go 12-1 and because of the head-to-head and because Georgia's schedule would be pretty brutal, too. Yeah, yeah uh, so we agree with that. I think that's the challenge for uh, for Notre Dame is to figure out what happens elsewhere. Another top 25 game, Oklahoma State, West Virginia. Are you buying into Oklahoma State? Uh, I don't know if I'm buying into them. Look, Mason Rudolph's really good. He had an off game last week against Texas, but they found a way to win that game in overtime. Uh, he had gone eight consecutive games, 300-yard games, and uh, obviously not even close to that number last week. But you look at this West Virginia pass defense. They're 106 nationally. Um, they give up tons of big plays. This is a team that was down 35-17 in the third quarter to Texas Tech. I'll give them credit. They found a way to win that game. But against Oklahoma State, I think they get behind. And I think Oklahoma State runs away with this game. We're talking to Lance Taylor at the Lance Taylor on Twitter. Uh, he's also a 94-5 jocks in Birmingham. LT, if I had told you in 1997, Tennessee and Nebraska are playing in a kind of a default national title game because Michigan's playing in the Rose Bowl against Washington State. Uh, Michigan wins their title with Charles Woodson. They split uh, the title with Nebraska, which wins. Is it their third straight or whatever the heck it is? I mean, they were on an unbelievable run. I think it was like their third straight title. If I had told you right then and there that Nebraska in 20 years and Tennessee in 20 years, that the same weekend Nebraska was going to be going on the road at Purdue and be around a six-point favorite, a (laughs) six-point underdog, and that Tennessee – 
would go on the road against Kentucky and was going to be a six-point underdog, would you have said that I was crazy? Yeah, I would have said you're crazy because back then we didn't think we would ever get parity in college football, and we never thought that some of the blue bloods would fall off like they did. And I'll be honest with you, I think Kentucky and Purdue both win those games this weekend. Um, and who would have thought that your your coaches would be Mike Riley and Butch Jones? <laughs> oh, my God, what has happened? I know. Yeah. Hey, and I threw this out, and you tell me, where is Nebraska right now as a national program? Again, I still think Tennessee is a top 25 just based on SEC, uh, based on facilities. Nebraska, I just don't know. And I brought up the point, even with Ole Miss and uh, potential sanctions out there, I think Ole Miss looking for a coach might be um, a better job uh, than Nebraska right now. Am I crazy? I, I, I don't think so, because I think here's what you have to do. I always say when you're ranking programs, you have to eliminate current coaches, okay? And to me, what you have to do now is just draw a circle. And if you draw a circle around the University of Tennessee, you can win a national championship with guys within four hours of the campus, right? If, if right now you said, hey, let's eliminate, and I think that's the ultimate advantage here when you're ranking programs. If right now you said for every college football program in the country, hey, you can only recruit guys who are playing in high school within four hours of your campus. You draw a circle around Knoxville, you get Charlotte, you get Atlanta, and you get Nashville. Zero doubt if you got the best players out of those three cities for three or four straight years, you could win a national championship with ease, right? That's Tennessee. If you draw a circle around Nebraska and say you can only get guys within four hours of campus, I don't even think you can win, like, I I mean... You can't find 25 guys. Yeah. I mean, you have no chance. So you have to recruit nationally. And I don't get the sense that back in the day when they recruited nationally, there were very few programs that had what Nebraska had. You're going to be on television. You're at a premiere, one of the all-time winningest programs. Uh, We can provide you unbelievable facilities. Like, the money that we spend is like nothing else. Now there are tons of Nebraskas. Like, what makes Nebraska, in theory, better than Iowa or better than Illinois? Like, really, like, Big Ten schools that are not very good traditionally either, necessarily – but they, the, the facilities at Iowa are not substantially worse than Nebraska. The facilities at Illinois are not substantially worse than Nebraska. Like Nebraska doesn't have any real advantages now that they're in the Big Ten and they've cut off Oklahoma and Texas from their pipeline of recruits. Where are they going to go? Yeah, look, I, I, I 1,000% agree with you. The thing that baffles me, and I know this is a deeper discussion for another day, is right there in division of the Big Ten West, Again, Paul Christ in Wisconsin. This is going to be four consecutive years where they win double-digit games. Wisconsin made, made Brett Bielema look like a hell of a coach. He was going to Rose Bowls at Wisconsin. How does how does Wisconsin do it? I don't know. And, and not only – I mean, Barry Alvarez, I mean, they, they've been on a roll. I mean, I think they could be studied and be fascinating. Now, I do think the Big Ten West is such an inferior conference. I mean, right now, Wisconsin is on a roll, Right. And they haven't played a top 25 opponent. In fact, you can make the argument that FAU may be the best team they've yeah. played all year based on how Lane Kiffin has got things going down there right now. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, I think they're going to beat Michigan. I think they're going to be 12-0 and in the Big Ten title game. And Michigan will be out of the top 25. They won't have a single top 25 win. Yet they'll be playing against Ohio State, I think, for a chance to go into the playoff. Because if you go 13-0 and and win the Big Ten, you're in. Even though, frankly... 12 and 1 Georgia would have a better resume than 13 and 0 Wisconsin. All right, quickly on the NFL, what games jump out to you uh for this weekend? Oh, whew. I um, mean 
Are you buying into, obviously, uh, your Rams are are on a roll? Are you buying into well, them they, as a legit chance? For, yeah, but are you buying into them to win the uh, NFC am, West? Well, I, you know, here's the thing that, that bothers me. You go back a couple of weeks ago, and uh, they had every opportunity. This is a team that's up 10 points at home against uh, against Seattle, and they blow that lead in the Coliseum. So if they would have won that game, they'd be sitting there with Philadelphia the best record in football. Yeah, Cooper Cup had a catchable ball there uh, on third down. Uh, the, I was watching that game live, and arguably that's a throw Jared Goff would like to have back because they would have won the game if he'd put that a little bit closer. Cup makes that catch, and they win. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to find a great game this weekend. The What I would say, because going into the season, I said there's two teams to watch out for, the Philadelphia Eagles and I said the Los Angeles Chargers. And the Chargers start out 0-4. And three of those four losses were by a field goal. And now you look at the Chargers. They've won three consecutive games. They head into New England to take on a Patriots team that is beatable. Yep. So if the Chargers were able to win that game, I think that's really an intriguing game. Because if the Chargers come out of there 4-4, four and four, uh, the Raiders are kind of going in the wrong direction. The Chiefs have lost back-to-back games. Um, the Broncos with Simeon aren't going to do anything at all. So um, I, I think Chargers-Patriots would be my game this weekend. What about Cowboys-Redskins? Uh, I'm a little disappointed, you know, I, of course, I, I get better, and I'm sure you do, with the teams and coaches and quarterbacks they can't cover, and I had the Redskins this past Monday night against the Eagles, and I thought they looked really good for 25 minutes, and then uh, Carson Wentz just looked like Brett Favre circa 1996. Um, I, I can't figure out this Cowboys team, and I can't figure out this Redskins team. I would lean Redskins at home. Um, it's really difficult for me to pull for Kirk Cousins. And I don't know what we make of the Cowboys scoring 40 and dominating a bad 49ers team last week. I think the Cowboys are still an 8-8, eight and 9-7 eight, and seven team, and I think the Redskins are probably uh, about that as well. Awesome. As always, go follow uh, Lance Taylor at the Lance Taylor on Twitter. You can listen to him on 94.5 Jocks down in Birmingham. Appreciate the time, hey, my man. Yeah, enjoy Tennessee, Kentucky, man. <laughs> yeah. As if. Um, and it's good stuff from uh, LT as he gives a shot on the way out. Uh, let me go ahead and tell you all about my friends at uh, Geico. Everybody's got a to-do list. Drop off the dry cleaning. Pick up some milk. Here's an idea. Let's add, save hundreds of dollars on car insurance. And the good thing is you don't have to drop off or pick up anything. All you have to do is go to geico.com. And in 15 minutes, you could be saving 15% or more on car insurance. Extra money in your pocket. It just may be the most rewarding to-do you do today. Let me bring in my guy, Eddie Garcia. What's shaking in the world of sports, my man? Well, Clay, week eight kicked off in the NFL on Thursday night in Baltimore where the Ravens roll over the Dolphins 40 to nothing. Now, Baltimore's defense obviously got it done with the shutout. They also scored two interceptions or two touchdowns off of interceptions of Miami quarterback Matt Moore. But the big story from this game was what happened to Baltimore quarterback Joe Flacco. He was knocked out of the game in the second quarter on a controversial hit by Miami linebacker Kiko Alonso. Flacco suffered a concussion. He didn't return. Alonso was flagged for an unnecessary roughness penalty. Baltimore with the wins four and four. Miami with the loss drops to four and three. College football number 20, Stanford escaped with a 15-14 win at Oregon State. Now the Beavers had the ball in the lead in the final minutes but fumbled, and Stanford quarterback Keller Chris turned it into a three-yard touchdown pass with 20 seconds to play as the Cardinal get the win. Baseball, Joe Girardi's out as New York Yankees manager after 10 years on the job. He averaged 91 wins per season, made the playoffs five times, and won a World Series. This report's brought to you by True Car. With True Car, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for, new or used. Visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And Clay, the NBA game of the night saw the Clippers beat the Trailblazers 104-103. Blake Griffin wins it on a three-pointer at the buzzer. Clippers are 4-0 on the season. Outstanding stuff as always. You know what it's time for, boys and girls. 
go ahead and announce to your bosses you're going to be late for work. It's Animal Thunderdome on Friday. Get ready next on OutKick, the coverage. Great news. Quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to Geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance as well. Don't let the name fool you. Dollar Shave Club has way more than just razors. Try their first month starter set with travel size shave butter, body cleanser, butt wipes, and an executive razor, all for just five bucks. After that, replacement cartridges ship for just a few bucks a month. Get yours at dollarshaveclub.com slash outkick. Do that today. All right, boys and girls, I teased it as we went to break. I told you you're going to be late for work because you got to hear it. Here it is. It's Animal Thunderdome. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls. I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying times here. I had a bullet constrictor stuck to my face. And you have a what? This is Animal Thunderdome. All right, boys and girls, what we got? I'll go to you first, Jason Martin. California Elementary School placed on lockdown. Why? A mother bear and her cub decided to tour campus and wander the hallways. They got inside. Oh, yeah. Tuesday morning around 10 a.m., Pasadena Rosebud Academy director Sean Brumfeld said a student at the Altadena, California school was walking to his classroom when he spotted the mother bear in a hallway. This student student then immediately came to the office and let them know the school was placed on lockdown, also an adjacent campus was locked down for about 45 minutes. Then witnesses spotted a second bear, a cub, also in the hallway during the lockdown. And here's what they were doing. The mom was pacing back and forth while the child was in the trash, I guess trying to find food for the family. The mom was letting the kid kind of do the work. Brumfeld said, quote, they were very subdued. They weren't aggressive or anything, unquote. The bears actually wandered away from campus before authorities got onto the scene. So they actually Where is just Altadena? rolled in. Uh, you're going to have to ask the California crew on that one. I didn't even want to look it up because I'm sure they know. <laughs> that is not far from Pasadena, California. So that's yes. what I thought. So it's basically not far from the Dodger Stadium. Not, not too far, about, about, uh, about 15, 20 minute drive. I mean, it's in LA County. Yeah, those Altadena Hills are famous for all the wildlife that, you know, come down into the neighborhoods. So it's it's kind of like uh, Yellowstone of Southern California. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So you're just not surprised that an L.A. County school <laughs> can just have bears wandering through the, hall, the the hallways? No, in that area, we see it often on local TV stations covering the animals wandering the neighborhoods around that. So part bears of, have gotten in schools before? Not in schools, but I've definitely seen Altadena on the news before for a bear being in somebody's neighborhood. That's this unbelievable. Again, Bears trying to be humans. I'm telling you, we've seen them sitting on couches like humans. We've seen them in cars driving down and causing accidents. Now they're in schools trying to get educated. This is this is the nightmare for all of us. I can't believe it's happening in L.A. Like, I mean, we're not talking about Montana. We're not talking about, you know, North Dakota. We're talking about the second biggest city in America, and there's just bears wandering the classrooms. It's like cats and dogs living together. Uh, all right, what else we got? Not just the West Coast. How about the East Coast? This is what I call a freak in the sheets, Clay. Police in North Carolina said a housekeeping worker cleaned up a hotel room and then called officers to remove an uninvited guest. How about a boa constrictor in the bed at the Roadway Inn and Suites in Asheville, North Carolina, which I actually lived for a couple of years. Cleaned up a room on Monday, called police, found a five-foot boa slithering around inside the sheets. 
the snake taken to the animal shelter. It was reunited with its owner, and this is why this is whoa, men- whoa, 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 whoa. worth mentioning. It was reunited with its owner. The owner yeah, lost to the this. boa? The owners, this is ridiculous to me. The owner said they had brought the serpent named Chuck along to visit a friend at the hotel and had misplaced the pet. Oh, What? You lost your five-foot snake at the hotel? By the way, what do you mean you take the snake to visit a friend? At, what was the <laughs> name of this hotel? The, the uh, Roadway Inn and Suites. All right, the Roadway Inn and Suites. There's something really freaky going on there because who takes a five-foot snake to go visit their friend and then loses the snake at the hotel and doesn't report that they lost the snake? They just left, like just checked out of the hotel and rolled like, well, Imagine I guess he's this gone. Poor wait, uh, this poor uh, uh, housekeeping employee who's making like $9 an hour cleaning rooms what, you probably expect all sorts of ridiculousness at the, ridiculousness at the Roadway Inn and Suites in, in Asheville. What you don't expect is to be cleaning the bed and suddenly see a five-foot snake there. That's my last day on the job, I think. Oh, I mean, talk about going to hell. That's, uh, that's evidence that you're going to hell when you're on the housekeeping staff and there's a five-foot snake left behind. God, Agreed. That's, that's pretty scary. Terrible. I, I think there was some sexual shenanigans going on in this hotel. I don't know what, but I think there was. Uh, all right, anything else, or are we going to go to Justin? Uh, yeah, this, uh, this story comes out of uh, the south coast of Newfoundland. Now, a man was hunting, and he shot a 14-point bull moose, hitting his target both times. He thought the moose was dead. He approached the animal and began to prepare to dress it told his fiance to bring down his knives and when he turned around the moose was back up again it lunged at him with its antlers flipped him into the air he landed on the ground where the moose began stomping him he held onto his antlers tried to steer him away but it seemed like forever eventually the moose abandoned the fight and fled the scene he had to be hella out of there had uh, staples in his head hand and chest and uh, he now there's a there's a photo along the story he has a hoof print Right on his forehead. Not good. Um, do we have a picture of the fiance? No, there's no picture of the fiance. <laughs> uh, baby, baby, bring me my knives. Yeah, when you say "baby, bring me my knives," I, I'm going to defend the, the the moose here. Right? The moose yeah. is in a life or death struggle. I the agree. moose is just out there, you know, like living his life. He suddenly gets shot a couple of times. There's this random dude who wants his knives to, to dress him, and you know, it's rare that I defend the animals, but the animal just was fighting for its life. And the animal won. I think this human's lucky to be alive. Newfoundland, far right in Canada, actually to the east of Quebec. I have looked it up because oh, this are you is just not showing off now because you've been oh, so yeah, wrong I'm about Canada off. geography. You better believe it. Show off. That will never you, happen again. What did you say? That uh, what was the place that you? I said, said Quebec was, was very close to Alberta, and they were about twenty six hundred miles from each yeah, other. Yeah. A bad, bad look. All right, final hour of the week up next. We dive back into Thursday night football, and I give you my gambling picks to get rich, plus Britt McHenry, all next. Coming live from the Geico Outkick Studios. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. As well, Duralast batteries designed to stand up to even the most extreme weather conditions. They're built with patented technology to reduce damage due to vibration and deliver the most power during startup. They're proven tough and sold only at AutoZone. Get in the zone. AutoZone. We're in the zone here. Final hour. 
of the week. Thank you for all the support you have given out, Kicks, so far this week. Encourage you to go download the podcast. Thanks for listening across 250-plus AM FM stations and also for listening on Sirius XM Channel 218 as well as XM 202. Uh, millions of downloads, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you for all of the support. We will start the hour off as many of you wake up to begin your Friday. Good news out there. Stranger Things 2, now available to those of us who are Netflix subscribers. Going to be a lot of fun diving into that story over this weekend, as well as all of the football games, college and NFL. I'll give you my gambling picks to close out the hour of the show today. We'll talk with Britt McHenry here in about 15 or 20 minutes about uh, the issues of the day and more. But we began with what was the biggest story last night, and it was the Miami Dolphins playing against the Baltimore Ravens in Thursday night NFL football. And in particular, the play that let loose uh, a, a thousand ships, as uh, as we learned in the Iliad, uh, and everybody has an opinion, is the hit that Kiko Alonso put on Baltimore Raven quarterback Joe Flacco as he scrambled and attempted to reach the first down line. I will reset that for those of you who may have missed it. Uh, Late in the second quarter, about two minutes and change, I believe, remaining in the game. And this is what it sounded like on CBS when the hit happened. Flacco rolling, rolling, and running. And he's going to have to, oh, not the ball comes out. Helmets off. It was Kiko Alonso who delivered the blow. Flacco's on his feet. And Harbaugh's yelling at Alonso right now. He's in Alonso's face. Harbaugh is livid. You just lost your quarterback for the game, and Harbaugh knows that. This is a watch this. Joe with a good run, slides. Bends his head, helmet comes jarringly off. And it's definitely a penalty as the quarterback gives himself up, and he leans that arm in there. That's that's not okay. Well, look, he knows he's going down, and at the end right there, he leans it down. Alonzo, way too aggressive. Quarterback's giving himself up. You need to at least show restraint at the end of that. That's Tony Romo obviously breaking down that play alongside Jim Nance last night on CBS Thursday Night Football right before halftime. That hit happening with about two minutes left before the half. Uh, Okay, Kiko Alonzo was asked about that hit after the game, and this is what he said in his own defense. I thought maybe if he slid a second sooner, I was anticipating him sliding, I was going to not hit him. But I think he, it was like, you know, a uh, second late, which is why I hit him. You know, when a guy slides, you know, his target is very small. I just think, uh, you know, it was like a second, a second late, which is why I hit him, to be honest with you. Uh, that was the uh, the conversation there, and uh, John Harbaugh was asked after the game. Harbaugh got into it with Kiko Alonso there on the field. Want to give credit to the NFL officiating crew because they they gave a 15 yard penalty for the hit, but they didn't flag the uh, the Baltimore Raven offensive lineman for sticking up for their quarterback. I think that may have been a response to what happened earlier this season in a Seahawks versus Titans game when Richard Sherman flattened Marcus Mariota out of bounds. A late hit clearly uh, was not uh, within the bounds of normal play. He was flagged 15 yards for the play, but Titan offensive linemen stood up for their quarterback, and they were also flagged 15 yards in the, in the play, which means there was no actual penalty that was assessed at all because they were offsetting in this situation, Kiko Alonso was obviously roughed up after the hit as well. 
but the Baltimore Raven offensive line was not flagged. John Harbaugh was asked whether or not Alonzo should have suffered some more severe penalty, including perhaps ejection. This is what he had to say. Joe had a concussion and a cut ear. His ear was cut from like in here all the way down to his earlobes. They were stitching that up without any anesthesia, so he's a tough dude at halftime. And that's as much as I know about it. You, you had some words for Alonzo. It was very apparent on TV. Was it? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, we were okay afterwards, so. Are you okay? That, that, that wasn't a clean hit, was it? I'm not commenting on that. Yeah. It was, I was penalized correctly, I would say. you feel like an ejection was? That's not for me to say. Thanks for asking. (laughs) Absolutely. No question. No question. It's a fair question. Put it that way. It's a fair question. It's a fair question indeed. And so we took to Twitter to ask that question. Do you believe Kiko Alonso should have been ejected for his Joe Flacco hit? Uh, Asked that question in the first hour of the show. And since that first hour of the show, roughly 5,500 of you have taken the time to go vote in this Twitter poll. You can find my Twitter feed at Clay Travis and vote yourself and 62% of you believe Kiko Alonso should have been ejected for this Joe Flacco hit. Uh, 38% of you obviously do not believe he should have been ejected. So pretty substantial majority believes that Alonso should have been ejected. I think so too. I agree. As I said in hour one of this show, I think Kiko Alonso should have been ejected on the spot. And I think it's important to do so because it's not just about punishing Kiko Alonso. Punishment to me is most useful not when it's designed in a punitive manner. That is, let's punish this guy or girl for what they did. I think it's more useful because it sets a precedent for what is permissible and what is impermissible in a league where quarterback injuries, frankly, are devastating to any team. The drop-off from Joe Flacco to Ryan Mallett is substantial. The drop-off between one and two in the NFL in general, QB1 and QB2, is a lot of times a touchdown or more. And so if you incentivize players like Kiko Alonso here on defense to not pull up, I know that Joe Flacco was running. I know that he may not have gone into his slide as early as some NFL defensive players might have liked. But Alonso still had the opportunity here to not hit him. Joe Flacco had given up on his uh, opportunity there to get the first down. Kiko Alonso is coming full speed but he has the ability to not hit Flacco, certainly to not hit him on the ground as he is sliding. And I think that's one of the most interesting things about this play. Why did Alonzo go low here? Why did he use his body as a missile and go low here and hit Joe Flacco basically right in the head, knock his helmet off, and put him into concussion protocol? Why did he do that? I think because he was trying to do exactly what happened inflict enough pain on Joe Flacco such that the Ravens had to go to their second-string quarterback. And he know he knows the difference between Flacco and Ryan Mallett is substantial. At that point in time, the Ravens were winning 13 to nothing. Now, Ryan Mallett came in and threw a touchdown pass there at the end of the first half to make it 20 to nothing. But the Dolphins have come back from substantial deficits on the road before, i.e., look at what happened in Atlanta – where they're down 17 to nothing and they come storming back to win. I think Kiko Alonso knew the best chance that the his team, the Dolphins had to come back was if he knocked Jim Hart, uh, sorry, if he knocked Joe Flacco out of the game. And so I think that was his clear intent. And I think you need to punish clear intent like that because I think you need to make other NFL defenders think twice before they decide whether or not to take a cheap shot on a quarterback like this. 
in a larger context. I honestly mean this, and I asked it in hour one. Should at this point in time, NFL coaches just be instructing their quarterbacks if they are pocket-passing quarterbacks like Joe Flacco is, to not even leave the pocket and try to run, to just throw the ball out of bounds? Should we eliminate intentional grounding completely and just let quarterbacks fling the ball wherever they want? I think it's an interesting question because the injury situation to quarterbacks tends to rear its head when quarterbacks are out of the pocket. And I believe the only quarterback right now who is mobile and good and has been in the league for multiple years is Russell Wilson, who has not suffered a severe injury as a result of his freelancing outside of the pocket. And I mean missing multiple games. You name pretty much any other modern quarterback who leaves the pocket and makes plays with his legs, whether it's Aaron Rodgers, Marcus Mariota, Alex Smith, you name me a mobile quarterback who leaves the pocket and makes plays with his legs, and there's almost none of them that have been able to withstand the hits and not suffered severe injury. And obviously, even when you're not a mobile quarterback like Joe Flacco, it's hard to resist that opportunity to run the ball every now and then. But I, I, I mean, honestly, should if you have a pocket-passing quarterback, should you just say never leave the pocket? Because once you leave the pocket, you lose that protection. And a 15-yard penalty for Kiko Alonso, if that's the only penalty he gets, that's the best risk-reward that any NFL defender could possibly have. You flatten Joe Flacco as he's running there, and you get a 15-yard penalty? And in the process, you knock out the starting quarterback of the opposing team? How much do your odds of victory surge just based on that situation? You don't even get kicked out? I just, I, I'm blown away that that was not a more significant penalty. What you got, Danny G? Well, you're saying that you would not want your quarterback to run. Ever. But, okay, earlier in the week, you gave your young quarterback top five, six. Who was yep. number one on your list? Carson Wentz. Part of, big part of his game is that he's mobile. So you would but take me, that away from him? I would. Because I think the payoff here, outside of the playoffs or outside of a game that you have to win to get into the playoffs, I think that running the football is not worth the risk for a quarterback. If you've proven that you can make every throw you need to make from the pocket, I would, in my opinion, I don't think the value is out there. I think that Carson Wentz, historically, you look at it, if Carson Wentz is going to run, same thing with Dak Prescott, if those guys are going to run, they're going to take a hit that is going to debilitate them at some point, either this year or next year, that causes them to miss multiple games. And this is not the same era when Steve Young and John Elway could run big mobile quarterbacks who are NFL Hall of Famers. I think that you can't make a living outside of the pocket in the NFL. And look, you can't stop a guy from running, but if I were coaching right now in the NFL... I would say don't leave the pocket. If you if you don't have your guy open and you don't see anything, the gain that we're going to get of you grabbing three or four yards and then sliding is not worth the risk that you're putting yourself into to leave the pocket. Just fling it out of bounds. Let's run another play. Because I think the only way you can win in the NFL is by making consistent plays in the pocket. Now, obviously, once you get into the playoffs, 
the risk-reward associated with that changes. And so if you can get the first down or make a run for the first down or if you can gain three or four yards, that I think is a different strategy. But in the regular season, I would tell my guys, don't even leave the pocket. Even with a guy like Carson Wentz, even with a guy like Dak Prescott, even with a guy like Marcus Mariota, three of the top six young quarterbacks in the league that are all incredibly mobile, I don't think you gain much. Now, within the pocket itself, if you want to uh, be moving and mobile and constantly shifting around and, and, and rolling out and, and trying to avoid sacks, all that perfectly fine. But I don't think there is much value versus the risk-reward here is so overlaid here in terms of getting injured. I mean, think about it, guys. The only player we can name right now in the NFL who's played multiple years, Carson Wentz still just in his second year, Dak Prescott still just in his second year, Deshaun Watson still in his first year, the only one we can name who's a mobile quarterback that hasn't missed multiple games because of injury outside of the pocket is Russell Wilson. Only one we can name, and I would suggest that means Russell Wilson is a ticking time bomb, that he's going to get lit up on one of these scramble plays. And I just, I mean, the, the, the days of making a living outside of the pocket, extending and, and getting that first down, you just can't do it. I just don't think you can. Look at what happened to Cam Newton. I think the hits that Cam has taken outside of the pocket have severely damaged his long-range potential as a quarterback in this league. And I think Cam has proven that he consistently cannot be a high-level pocket passer. And I think ultimately that's the only thing that can't be defended by NFL defenses. If you're a quarterback inside the pocket who can make throws, we, we should only judge NFL quarterbacks on how they do third down passing when everybody knows they're going to pass. To me, that's the only stat that really matters. It's great if you're good on first and second down passing, but I want to see the stats for when it's third and eight, you got to give me a first down. I want to see third and 12 when everybody in the entire stadium knows that you're throwing the football and every NFL defensive player knows that you're throwing the football. How do you do then? Third down passing is where championships are won in the NFL. Can you or can you not get a first down, continue drives? That's the only thing I care about when it comes to assessing whether a quarterback is good or not. Only thing, right? I mean, if you make plays on first and second down, that's great. But when they know you're throwing on third down, that's when you have to do it. All right, uh, I got to tell you guys about my friends at Dollar Shave Club. And let me tell you, they are fantastic in all respects. They make me basically, I don't say even better than I was before, but it's hard to do it, but they do it. You know how much I love them. Did you know they also offer so much more than razors? They have high-quality personal and grooming products for your hair, face, skin, shower, everything. DSC has all your bathroom needs delivered. And I got to give you credit here, DSC. Your products are so good that my wife is stealing them from my side of the bathroom and taking them over to her side. We have these his and her sinks. And if you know anything at all about the his and her sink, mine has like two products. It's got like a toothbrush and I've also got like a a razor and that's it. And then I look over at my wife's side and it used to be. That was the only thing I had on my, my, uh, my, my sink. My wife's side... It's like she's got a, uh, a drug emporium over there. She's got like 50 different products. I don't even know what all of them do. You know, 50 different products. She's got hair. She's got face. She's got like, I don't even know. I honestly don't know. It's like a NASCAR uh, pit crew 
at my wife's sink. I had no idea what all these products do. And now I got the Dollar Shave Club stuff coming in. They've got me. Uh, they've got me bringing in razors, body cleanser, hair gel, even butt wipes. My wife is stealing my stuff. They have everything that I need. Suddenly, my wife is now taking my stuff. That's how I know it's high quality stuff. When my wife, who has all this stuff, like an entire pit crew worth of beauty products on her side, all I got prior to the Dollar Shave Club, a toothbrush and a razor. They start sending me stuff in these packages, and it starts migrating from my sink to her sink that's how good the product is my wife is stealing it right now you can try it all you can get their first month starter set for just five bucks that's travel size shave butter body cleanser butt wipes and a month of their best razor after that replacement cartridges ship for just a few bucks a month don't miss out she even took my razor you know it stinks when your wife takes your razor you can't find it it's in the shower she's using it because the razor works so well after that, replacement cartridges ship for just a few bucks a month. Don't miss out. Get your starter set for just five bucks today exclusively at dollarshaveclub.com slash outkick. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash outkick. Great news. Quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com and in 15 minutes you could save 15% or more on car insurance as well. I think we're good there. Um want to tell you we've got a bunch of different questions that are up on the uh on on the twitter on the twitter machine you can go find me on the twitter machine at clay travis and um these are kind of interesting i teased again the uh the question of whether or not you think kiko alonso should have been ejected for his joe flacco hit 63 percent of you are saying yes and over six thousand of you have voted you can go vote uh, at Clay Travis. We also are talking about a couple of other uh, pretty interesting little stories. Um, one, Jason Martin, you are a television writer as well as many other things for Outkick.com, uh, Outkick the coverage, and you have watched the entirety of Stranger Things, which also is dropping today if you're a Netflix subscriber. And I asked the question, have you watched Stranger Things? Because I was kind of curious what percentage of our audience may have watched that eight-episode uh, eight season one series. And it's almost exactly half. 46% of you are saying, yes, you have watched Stranger Things, which would suggest there's obviously a massive audience for Stranger Things 2. And Jason Martin, you're telling us that Stranger Things 2 is better than Stranger Things 1. I enjoyed it more. It may have been more focused at times in Season 1, but there were some issues in Season 1, and there's some issues in Season 2 as well. Neither one of them is perfect, but both of them are a ton of fun. I just enjoyed, and this is sort of weird just because, you know, season one, you have to spend a lot of time introducing things, and sometimes the introductory part of stories can be boring. With the trip back, now that we know all these characters, going back to Hawkins and meeting all these guys again and seeing what they've been up to, to me that's more fun when the writing is good. And in this case, for the most part, with a few exceptions, the writing was really, really good, and I had a ton of fun watching this, laughed a lot, had some really good scares involved in it. I just I thought it was a really well-rounded experience, and if you liked the first season, I would be really surprised if you don't like the second. You're not a parent, but what age do you think, for people out there who are going to work and they want to watch something scary with their kids, what age range do you think is appropriate for Stranger Things? That's a good question. It does have a little bit of language, but not anything major. The first, uh, the first Stranger Things I thought was the first uh, season of Stranger Things I thought was pretty scary. Like the, I have so for people out there who are driving around, like I think that's always one of the questions you have to ask yourself. I watched as a kid, way too young, 
Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, that caliber of movie in the 1980s that was very scary, Halloween's, the J- the Friday the 13th. Um and that's because they were on first of all nobody carded at movie theaters. You could go see any R-rated movies. I think now they're more aggressive about making sure that at least the people that are buying the tickets are 18. When I was a kid, like you could be 10 and go buy a ticket for an R-rated movie. Uh, especially if it was a, a horror movie or a violent movie. Maybe, I don't know if I could have gotten into like Basic Instinct or something like that, which was you know clearly a, uh, a sex-related movie. But horror and violence, like people were totally fine with, at least in my, uh, in my generation. But I, 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 like my nine-year-old, who's going to turn 10 in January, is to me way too young to watch Stranger Things. Like He would have nightmares. It'd be hard to get him to go to sleep. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. The first R-rated films I saw, I saw them both on the same day. I remembered. I was on a trip with my parents in Atlanta, Georgia, and we went and saw three movies that day on vacation because there was nothing else to do that afternoon. And I saw Coming to America and Die Hard on the exact same day in 1988. That's, a hell of a, that's so an was, amazing combo. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it might be the best one-two punch I've ever had at the movies, as a matter of fact. It was absolutely phenomenal. And I was, so I was basically about 10 years old at the time. Yeah, Stranger that's a good things, point. Because before you go any further, like I saw Die Hard in the movie theaters too, and and Die Hard is a clear R-rated movie. Um, That's an interesting point. Like my kids have not seen R-rated movies, but I'm trying to think of the like the. I mean, they've seen the Star Wars movies and everything else, but I'm trying to think of where the range would be. What do you? Yeah, like what is the age range for Stranger Things? Thirteen. Yeah, like it's not nightmare. It's not built off Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the Thirteenth and stuff like that. It's not pure horror. It's kind of an amalgam of stuff like Stand by Me and The Goonies and E. T. and But then there's the thing and things like that. There are monsters, and I do think that when you actually get into it, there's enough scary imagery in it that I would suggest somewhere around thirteen. Really, I mean, maybe you could take it before then. I did not watch horror films until I was probably in my teens, somewhere in that neighborhood. It didn't really appeal to me earlier than that but my parents protected me from it for the most part i was able to see the comedies i was able to see you know some of the violence but not some of the horror and some of the gore and things like that not that this show's heavy on gore either but there's enough imagery here that it will definitely if you're in the single digits you have no business watching this show you won't appreciate it anyway but you'll definitely be scared you'll have the nightmares and all that kind of stuff so i would say somewhere around 13 and maybe if you're 13 you're maybe not watching it alone Maybe you're watching it alone if you're 15, somewhere in that neighborhood. And maybe that's maybe that's changed, but that's the way I would do it. I would watch it with my kid if I had a kid that was 13. I don't know that I would let him sit in a room and watch it by himself. Yeah, I watched all those horror movies at like 9 or 10, and I think that was too young. Um, I agree. And even going to the movie theaters. Like, I remember going to see Nightmare on Elm Street in like fifth grade in the movie theaters. Um, and I think my kids would be terrified of that stuff. And I mean, I had nightmares too. So anyway... Stranger Things 2 is out. It's fantastic. Uh, Let me bring in uh, Eddie Garcia. Eddie, give us an update on what's shaking in the world of sports. Well, Clay, obviously everybody's talking about that uh, Thursday night football game, not because of the game itself, because the game wasn't very good. The Ravens dominated the Dolphins 40 to nothing, but because of the hit to quarterback Joe Flacco, the Ravens in the second quarter by Miami linebacker Kiko Alonso, it uh, drew a unsportsmanlike, or excuse me, an uh, unnecessary roughness penalty on Alonzo. It was a high hit on Flacco, who was sliding. Uh, he suffered a concussion, did not return to the game. 
Uh, again, the Ravens go on for the easy win that everybody's talking about that hit on Joe Flacco. Ravens are 4-4 four and four after that victory. Miami drops to 4-3 and three with that loss. There was a college football game involving a ranked team at number 20, Stanford. Lucky to win at Oregon State. They get the victory 15-14. Now the Beavers had the ball at home in the final minutes with the lead, and then they fumbled. Stanford took advantage. Quarterback Keller Christ with a three-yard touchdown pass with 20 seconds to play, and Stanford wins it without their star running back and Heisman contender, Bryce Love, who was out with an ankle injury. In baseball, Joe Girardi's out as manager of the New York Yankees. He spent 10 years in the Bronx, averaged 91 wins per season, made the postseason five times, and won a World Series title. This report brought to you by True Car with True Car. You can find out what other people in your area pay for the same car you're looking for, new or used. Visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And Clay, it was a light night in the NBA, but the game of the night was definitely the Clippers beating the Trailblazers in Portland 104-103 with Blake Griffin hitting a three-pointer at the buzzer for the win. Clippers are 4-0 on the season. Good deal. Coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. A couple of news stories that are also popping out there. ESPN's going to lay off more people. So for everybody who's listening to ESPN, uh, everybody who works at ESPN right now, uh, hi guys, listening to us instead of Mike and Mike in the morning, which is the vast majority of people who work at ESPN uh, and are up this early. Uh, hopefully you guys don't get laid off. But ESPN is laying off more people. I think I told you guys that several months ago on this show. Uh, as ESPN's collapsing business model continues to uh, rain down results in a negative way upon all the employees who have not done a bad job at their work, despite the fact that their bosses continue to keep their jobs, they continue to fire all the employees who did not sign disastrous uh, contracts with the leagues and also did not drastically uh, uh, under-realize as their business has collapsed in terms of the number of people who have ESPN in home. So that's a big news story that's out there that broke yesterday afternoon. Also, Jason Martin, do you have it pulled up? Deadspin went so far beyond the pale of normal criticism that I think this is an amazing detail. Uh, I've got it pulled up in front of me. Maybe I'll just go to you guys and let you guys react. Uh, I put up a poll question about it as well. Deadspin yesterday, I used to work as an editor at Deadspin. If you're not familiar with Deadspin, it used to be a website that didn't suck. And back when it didn't suck, I worked there. And uh, they they said, literally, they wrote this. Um, Maybe sites like OutKick are flourishing in the age of Trump. But let me tell you something. There will be a reckoning. Maybe Clay Travis won't pay professionally for his horse crap, but he'll pay anytime he's got to look a woman in the eye. He'll pay anytime someone on the street says to him, hey, I saw your tweet, and he's got to worry about what they're going to say next, and he'll pay at the gates of hell. Deadspin says I'm going to hell, not for any crime that I've committed, not because I've murdered anybody, not because I have done anything that is really that bad in the grand scheme of things. I'm going to hell because I have opinions that they disagree with and I share them. So the poll question that is up right now that 5,000 of you have voted on, do you agree with Deadspin that I'm going to hell? 42% do think I'm going to hell. And if I am going to go to hell, I got to tell you, we're going to have a lot of fun parties down there. Because the people in hell are going to be into some freaky stuff, and we're going to have a lot of fun. It's going to be hot, so we won't wear many clothes, but we're going to have a lot of fun. I also hope, and again, this is also if I end up at the pearly gates, if you know, if I have to stand in line to go to heaven or hell, I'm going to be really upset. 
I hope that heaven and hell have a fast pass. I hope that they have managed to make it easier for us to get in so that we don't have to all stand around while God's running through all the sins of everybody. I just, I hate lines. I don't have a lot of patience. And I might just go ahead and elect to go to hell if the line's shorter for hell. I'll be like, you know what? It's probably not going to be as much fun in hell. And I understand this eternity of happiness and stuff like that. But I'm just not going to wait. I'm not going to stand around and wait all day. Uh, Do you agree that I'm going to hell? 58% of you say no. 42% of you agree with Deadspin and say that I'm going to hell. Jason Martin, I mean, what more can people say about me at this point? Literally, Deadspin has said that I'm going to hell because of my opinions. I don't remember anybody else ever being told that they're going to hell because of their opinions that makes a living writing and talking about sports and more. Again, I will reiterate what I said before. And this is, look, the, the guys at Deadspin, I don't need to name them because who cares? Uh, if they, you know, if, they, if that's something they want to do in terms of improving their own life, I certainly don't begrudge that. But what they're saying about you in this case, they are referring to you in the way that I think most people now see you, which is post sports. Like you do talk about sports, and that's, you know, we're on a sports radio show right now across the country talking about this. But I think most of the people are not objecting to your Kiko Alonso take. They're going straight after you being a pop culture pundit, uh, somebody talking about politics probably mainly more so than anything. Yeah, I think that there are people takes. in this world. Well, yeah, well, I think there are a lot of people in this world. They're upset about me talking you. about Michael Bennett, Colin Kaepernick, because I don't believe that they're heroes. I don't think Colin Kaepernick is a modern-day Rosa Parks because I think Michael Bennett, regardless of the fact that he's a black guy, needs to get called off on called out on the fact that he totally lied about the Las Vegas police. There are lots of things associated with sports that I say that triggers the losers at Deadspin to the point now where they believe that I should that I'm going to go to hell because of my They opinion. believe you don't believe what you're saying as well. This has been lazy. a critique lodged. Yeah, I know. But this has been a critique lodged against you for a long time by a lot of different people Nobody that you're playing to a base to make money that you've sold no. your soul. Nobody who is far left wing ever gets accused of not believing what they believe, right? Name somebody who is insanely liberal. They never get accused of, like, not believing it, ever. Well, the reason why you get accused of not believing something in a lot of cases, if you're on the conservative side, for example, is because liberals don't believe that that could actually exist except for an evil person. Like, unless you're evil, you couldn't possibly believe certain things that conservatives would believe. So thus, if you're somebody that used to be a liberal or maybe even somebody they used to like or somebody they used to find funny or somebody they used to find talented, they can't stand it. You will find so many people that will come out right now and say Dennis Miller was never funny and he definitely is not funny now that he became a conservative and actually changed his political affiliations. Used to be incredibly liberal in the late 90s. Everybody loved him as soon as he turned it. Now he's not funny anymore. Conservatives can't be funny. Adam Carolla's not funny anymore. Anymore. Jimmy Kimmel's the funniest guy on the face of the planet. That's the way they see it. Because they see it through eyes of bias, they can't look at you legitimately because they don't believe what you're saying is legitimate. And I'm not casting aspersions on what you say either way. I'm just trying to explain it from their perspective, which I think is incredibly biased. And it's also amazing to me. Look, again, if this guy wants to improve his life, good for him. But judging somebody else, he might want to read about that. 
as well. Damning somebody to hell, that's one of the most egregious things you could possibly do, especially in his position, especially based on his own past. He's asking for forgiveness. That's one thing. But that doesn't mean you turn around and go after everybody else that you disagree with now that you feel you're on some moral high ground. That, to me, is incredibly problematic. But look at the rationale here, which is amazing to me. Like, this is what they're saying about me. Maybe sites like OutKick are flourishing in the age of Trump. We've been flourishing for years. This idea that nobody read OutKick before Donald Trump got elected president, OutKick has been dominant for years. But let me tell you something. There will be a reckoning. Maybe Clay Travis won't pay professionally for his horse crap, but he'll pay any time he's got to look a woman in the eye. Like my wife. You think? Do you think uh, I'm paying every time I look? Like I don't even understand what that means. He'll pay anytime someone on the street says to him, "Hey, I saw your tweet." Do you know what people on the street say to me? I love you. Nobody comes up to me and says a single negative word. Yesterday, I was all around downtown Nashville with my son. Probably 15 people came up to me uh, that I don't know and say, hey, I love what you're doing at OutKick. You know how many people came up to me and said they hate what I do? Zero. Do you know how many people have ever come up to me and said they hate what I do? Zero. Go look at my Twitter feed. I was at the Dodger game on on Tuesday night, game one. Met tons of OutKick listeners in L.A. Want to get pictures taken. Want to tell me how much they're enjoying OutKick. They say, hey, I saw your tweet. And then they say, and it's my favorite thing on Twitter. Thank God you're not a pussy willow. This is what Deadspin wrote. And he's got to worry about what they're going to say next. Yeah, when they say, hey, I saw your tweet, I don't worry about it at all because every single person who says that to me says, and I love what you tweet. Thank God for being you. Never does anybody say, hey, I saw your tweet, and I thought it was unacceptable or it offended me. Never happened. But they close it out with, he'll pay at the gates of hell. Well, in the meantime, I'm alive, and I'm going to make you a lot of money because that's what I do. Gambling picks up next. Brought to you by True Car. And thanks to our friends at True Car, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for, new or used. Visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And I'm telling you right now, they will hook you up. Visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And you're about to hear the most confident gambling picks you've ever heard. Up next, we're going 11 and 0. If I might be headed to the gates of hell, but until then, I'm going to make you a lot of money. Thank you. Your lucky stars. This is Outkick, the coverage. Casper mattress, comfort foams, guarantee a sleep cool and perfectly balanced, and its support foam provides long-lasting durability. Try your Casper for 100 nights risk-free. Go to Casper.com and use the code CLAY. That's C-L-A-Y for all the Alabama fans listening out there. That's how you spell my name, C-L-A-Y. And you could save 75 bucks. Minimum purchase required. See site for details. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Deadspin says I'm going to hell. But in the meantime, I'm alive. And while I'm alive, you know what I'm going to do? Make y'all rich. Here comes the outkick guaranteed plays of the week in college football. Let's hear the music, boys. Guess who's back? It's time. A.K.A. Mr. Make It Rain on him. For Clay Travis to make us rich. I'm rich. Including the legendary, famous, well-known talk of the town, most celebrated. I'd buy that for a dollar. Blood. Bank. Guaranteed. We're on a roll, boys and girls. Big time parlay hits. I'm going to start giving you a weekly parlay, too, for those of you out there. I know, again, professional gamblers say, don't play parlays. They're a bad bet. Well, they're also a fun bet. Lots of things that are bad for you are also fun. Candy ain't good for you. You know what? It tastes pretty damn good. 
especially when you win like I win. All right, we went 7-4 and four last weekend. Big wins. Florida State at Boston College. That game is tonight. I got BC. I think BC is going to win this game outright, but they're three-and-a-half-point underdogs. Gave it out to you, by the way, at six. Uh, Rutgers at Michigan. No way that Michigan should be a 24-point favorite over anybody. Rutgers has won their last two games in the Big Ten, and Michigan hasn't beaten anybody by 24 points all year. Wolverine offense isn't good enough to be a 24-point favorite. I'm taking Rutgers. Oklahoma State at West Virginia. We were 8-3, and three, and then West Virginia collapsed late against Baylor for us. Now West Virginia around an 8- or 7.5-point underdog at home against Oklahoma State. I think they cover and potentially win outright. Kansas State at Kansas. My rule right now in gambling is bet against Kansas whenever you can. I'm taking Kansas State as a 24-point favorite. USC at Arizona State. This line open, guys, at Arizona State plus seven. I couldn't believe my eyes. I immediately bet it. Now it's all the way down to Arizona State plus three. Arizona State's going to win this game outright. Clay Helton and co. are going to lose. This is going to be a bad look for USC. Arizona State wins it outright. Duke at Virginia Tech. Justin Fuente's got things rolling right now at Virginia Tech. They scored 59 last weekend. They score 40 or more against Duke. They cover the 15 and a half. Georgia. It's going to be a biblical beatdown in Jacksonville at the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Great event to go to if you've never been to it before. Half Georgia, half Florida. Georgia fans are going to be celebrating. And I know the past 25-year history of this game. I know how often Georgia has been better and found a way to lose. I'm telling you, it's not happening this time. Georgia going to cover minus 13.5, especially if you can get them under 14. I love this line. Uh, the line right now, right around 13.5 or 14, maybe buy it down to 13.5. But I think Georgia's going to blow Florida out. Florida can't score. Uh, FAU, Lane Kiffin's team scored 69, 11 straight times on the road. Uh, they're on the road this weekend. Last weekend, they beat the crap out of North Texas. This weekend, they're going to beat the crap out of Western Kentucky. The line opened at FAU as an underdog. It's now spread sprinted all the way out to FAU minus 7. I gave this to my OutKick VIP subscribers. At FAU plus one and a half, I'm telling you right now, FAU wins big. Uh, Penn State, I like Penn State to cover against Ohio State. That line right around seven right now in the biggest game of the week. Vanderbilt at South Carolina, I love the under here. Two teams coming off bye weeks. Will Muschamp is the coach of South Carolina. Derek Mason is the coach of Vanderbilt. Both of them defensive gurus. Two weeks to get ready for this game. Not many points going to be scored. I love the under and my blood bank guarantee. Tennessee at Kentucky, the under 46. I love, love, love the under in this game. I just don't think either team is going to score. Tennessee can't score. I think Kentucky's head coach, Mark Stoops, is going to coach this like it's the Super Bowl because Kentucky never beats Tennessee. The under is the play there. Okay, and here's my four-game outkick parlay. If you just like to play parlays, you just like to get rich, I got rich last weekend. I won a lot of money on a couple of different parlays. This week, my four-game parlay that I love the most. Vandy at South Carolina, the under. Tennessee at Kentucky, the under. FAU minus seven at Western Kentucky. And Georgia minus 13.5 versus Florida. Four-game parlay there for you that pays off at a really high rate. Those are the gambling picks, boys and girls. I'm telling you, we are going to get rich. We're going 11-0. and 0. Uh, My thanks to all of you who have hung out with us all weekend long. Can't wait to get back to you on Monday. 
Uh, I'll be doing the OutKick mailbag. Jason Martin will have a review up of Stranger Things on OutKick.com here momentarily. And you're going to break that down, Jason Martin, episode by episode, I think, right? Yeah, next week. Today is going to be spoiler-free because obviously nobody's had a chance to see it. Next week, I'm going to go episode by episode, one per day, and really go into it in spoilers and really talk about it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. That's going to be up at OutKick.com. I'll have a mailbag where I discuss the fact that Deadspin says I'm going to hail. Hell, there's my deep southern accent almost broke out there. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I hail. We're going to hail. Oof, uh, I appreciate awful. all. Yeah, I appreciate all of you spending your week with me. I am uh, Clay Travis. Go download the podcast at OutKick. If I'm not in hell by Monday, I'll be back. Hopefully, you'll all be rich from the gambling picks. Thank you. Game three of the World Series is tonight. Enjoy it, boys and girls. We'll have a good time. And I'll be with you come Monday, unless I'm in hail. I am Clay Travis. This has been Outkick the Coverage. Go download the podcast, boys and girls, and have a great Halloween early weekend. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. The best athletes don't just play the game, they change it. When it comes to investing, GameBridge is doing the same. Their online platform does things differently because it's designed to put you in charge of growing your own savings. It's intuitive, it's easy, and best of all, it's on your terms. No wonder GameBridge has earned the trust of 40% repeat customers. It's a better way to invest because it's investing your way. Get started today with as little as $1,000 at GameBridge.io. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free at 